We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical, mental, my physical as well as my mental fitness. Coffee time. And welcome to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. I'm your host, Jason Floyd, and I am uh, welcoming back to the uh, mobile podcasting, uh, I guess, headquarters for the uh, show, uh, Honke Lee. And uh, we heard from Honke yesterday. Uh, he's running against uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski for U.S. Uh, Senate uh, for the great state of Alaska. And uh, welcome back, Mr. Lee. It's awesome to see you. I, I went onto your Facebook page last night and kind of took a look at some things. And for those of you who uh, are not busy on a Friday night, he does something called Friday Night Live uh, with Honky Lee. And, uh, you know, check it out. You might like it. So, how, what do you think of Soldatna so far, Mr. Lee? Yes, sir. Hello, kind and generous ladies and gentlemen in Alaska. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And uh, we love our mothers and fathers, and uh, we uh, owe them our lives, and uh, they educate us, discipline us, and we are number one fans of our parents. So, yeah, uh, my name is Hunkili. I'm running for the United States Senate as an independent Alaskan in this year, 2022. And uh, Seoul Datna, a very beautiful place, and uh, also sister city of Seoul Datna, Kenai City. Oh, amazing. So this place is like magical. It's so tranquil. You have sandy beach, oceans, and I love running along the sandy beach in the Kenai city. And uh, it's just, people are amazing. And uh, all these wonderful animals, like uh, I saw seal, and also, uh, of course, uh, bald eagles and seagulls. And uh, it's just amazing, magical place. Yeah. Uh, they call the Kenai Peninsula Alaska's playground. So, uh, you know, it is a great place to live. It is a great place to uh, to grow up. Uh, I grew up just uh, north of here in a little town called Nikiski. Um, and, uh, you know, last summer I took my family for a, a side-by-side ride. We have, a, we have a, a Yamaha Viking 6, so I can fit everybody safely in an ATV and, um, or UTV. And we drove out to a place called Moose Point. And what was so cool about that trip is, you know, it's, it's several hours to get out to Moose Point from Captain Cook State Park. And as we were rolling along uh, the beach there, there was a pod of beluga whales oh. that basically swam parallel to us for, I don't know, maybe four or five miles. Okay. That was pretty cool, you know, just be driving along on a bluebird sunny day, the Alaska range out there all in its majestic, beautiful, you know, bigness, and then these beluga whales just, you know, arching their backs and just swimming along and blowing, you know, air yeah. and, and uh, mist into the sky, and, you know, it was just, just surreal. It was, it was beautiful. It's the reason we live in Alaska. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have to agree with you. Mm -hmm. uh, if you live anywhere else in Alaska, you, you know it's beautiful there too, but we're kind of partial to the Kenai Peninsula. Oh yeah, yeah. yep, yep. 
So, Mr. Lee, uh, you've had a day to think more about our last conversation. Was there anything that um, that you thought of over the evening or when you were out on your jog this morning uh, that we didn't cover yesterday that you'd like to talk about? Yes, so uh, we can talk about uh, oil and gas. Oil and gas, okay. Uh, it's a very big part of Alaskan natural resource and uh, also very controversial these days because uh, a lot of people in the world are worried about global warming, climate change. So they, uh, many people in the world, including uh, political leaders and in the industry, industrial leaders, they are thinking about moving away from fossil fuel. Right. Right. Our, our own uh, uh, electrical co-op here, the Homer Electric Association, has a goal to reduce, I think it is 50% of our dependency on, on fossil fuels or hydrocarbons for energy mm -hmm. uh, in a very short, short period of time. And uh, I'm hoping that we can have Wayne Ogle join us later today. He's a local conservative who was recently elected to the HEA board. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of this magical thinking that we can just completely wean ourselves off of what has defined our civilization, right? you know, for the last couple hundred years <laughs> in, you know, the span of a lifetime or less, yeah. which is, is uh, kind of, kind of crazy to think about. And, um, I don't, I don't think that the people who are promoting this have really thought it through well. I have to agree with you. Uh, so, uh, you know, I have science and engineering background, so uh, I'm trained as a researcher in science and engineering. So I did some research, okay? Uh, so, uh, several months ago, I paid visit to Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, in Fairbanks, uh, University of Alaska Fairbanks, they have this Museum of the North. And the Museum of the North, uh, I went there in Fairbanks, and I learned about uh, the natural history of Alaska. So in northern Alaska, like today's Enwa, today's like, uh, what's that, Prudhoe Bay, right. uh, about 100 million of years ago, it was Arctic jungle, Arctic forest. Yeah, actually there's Wikipedia article about Arctic forest. Mm -hmm. It's like 100 million years ago when there were dinosaurs, uh, even in northern Alaska, okay? So, uh, also there were big trees. So, the Museum of the North in Fairbanks, Alaska, they have all these uh, fossils of big trees and dinosaur. They were found in northern Alaska, okay? So, that's 100 million years ago. And so, now we have to ask this question. How come 100 million years ago, trees and plants and animals were so big? So, and I thought about it, I did some research, and the answer was this. Uh, again, I, I am very conversant in science and engineering, okay? So in biology, biochemistry, uh, carbon is the building block of life. So carbon atom is found in DNAs, you know, genomes, and protein, uh, fat, and carbohydrate. Okay, so carbon is the building block of uh, life in plants and animals. Okay, so 100 million years ago, the planet Earth was a very warm place. 
And that's why in northern Alaska there were big trees and big animals like dinosaurs 100 million years ago. And the reason why animals and plants were so big is because there were a lot of carbon dioxide in the air. Okay? So carbon dioxide is not a bad thing. And global warming, climate change is not a bad thing. Okay? So more carbon dioxide in the air means there will be more plants because plants need uh, four things in order to photosynthesize. Plants need warm weather, like global warming, like warm weather. Plants need that. And plants need a lot of water. And plants need carbon dioxide. And, carbon, and also plant, plants need uh, sunshine, okay? They, 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 to photosynthesize, okay? So more carbon dioxide in the air means there will be more plants. And more plants means more animals, okay? So uh, fossil fuel is the greenest energy form, as green as it gets. So that's, uh, actually I wrote about this, and they will publish in uh, like Social Science Research Network or some other venues, uh, maybe medium.com. Uh, I wrote these essays and research papers, and they're all online uh, for free for everybody. So, so, <clears throat> um, so we have a uh, we have an ongoing dialogue in our own household about this because we come from a little bit different background. Uh, we uh, homeschool our children. We're a Christian family. We have uh, read a, a number of uh, other resources that take a, a different perspective on the world and that uh, the world is actually the result of a much more condensed timeline and with a creator God and um, a plan. And, um, but the, the, the interesting thing about, about you know, whether you believe in millions of years or you believe in a short period of time, nobody can prove it. It's not provable. You know, they, they find artifacts that are, you know, several hundred years old in old collapsed mines that are already, already uh, when they carbon-14 date them, the, the, the dates are completely off of what they know they should be. You know, uh, I grew up in Washington State, and when the uh, Mount St. Helens blew up, mm-hmm. it created a lahar. All those glaciers evaporated and uh, and and um, uh, were, were vaporized, and this big slurry of mud and volcanic ash and chemicals and things came out of that mountain and filled what had once been a very beautiful picturesque lake called Spirit Lake. And it was like 10 years later, the, the um, geologists went in and they dug into Spirit Lake to see what was happening in that space that had been all water and a deep you know, pit basically that could collect all this lahar material. And they were astonished to find that the trees that were deposited there, many of them were deposited upside down, root mass up, and that they had been rapidly mineralized to become petrified. So when you go to the painted desert and the petrified forest down in the, in the southwest, uh, and you look at the interpretive signage, they'll tell you that the, the petrified wood that they find there is millions of years old. But then you have this anomaly, this outlier like Spirit Lake that shows that 
that this uh, this process can happen much much faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, uh, not to get in a debate over global warming, but uh, I do agree that that uh, there is a cyclical change that occurs throughout time, yeah. and that our our planet is a very resilient planet. Mm -hmm. And that we, uh, as as a culture, are pretty arrogant to think that we can change the environment so much that it's going to throw the globe into a, you know, crisis meltdown or whatever. And you know, yep. there's lots of different historical things you can look at where there's warming and cooling trends and yep. things that happen to the population. They say the Dark Ages was mm -hmm. one of those times when there was radical climate change happening. And people kind of went into survival mode yeah. during that period. So all the higher learning and, and development of civilization kind of got put on hold or mm -hmm. even went backwards a little because people were just trying to survive. Right. But, um, you know, oil and gas. Yes, it is a big issue in Alaska. We have lots of it. And right now our nation is buying oil from Russia. Yeah. So as a U.S. senator... What is your policy? What is your position going to be when you enter those chambers and you get to talk about national energy policy and hydrocarbons and, and oil? Yes, so uh, uh, I have to agree with uh, former President Trump that uh, he talked about clean coal. And uh, I agree, I have to agree with former President Trump on that because uh, so uh, we have advanced filtration technology available to us. Uh, my friends told me uh, nowadays the filtration is nanotechnology, nano level, so they can filter out molecules, okay? So that's how advanced filtration technology is. So, right, right. So in Alaska, okay, we have pebble mine. We talked about pebble mine yesterday, $500 billion worth of that. And in Anwar, we have $500 billion worth of oil and gas, and which is not developed yet, okay? In Alaska, we also have about $500 billion worth of coal. We have a lot of coal in Alaska, okay? So if we develop that, imagine that, okay? We, in Alaska alone, we will be generating $1.5 trillion okay with that kind of money we can do a lot of good things okay maybe free health care for all alaskans or maybe free college educations for all alaskans okay we can uh help out the poor people feed the hunger and uh we can eliminate crimes okay alaska can be la la land okay and let me tell you this so 2022 i'm running for u.s senate come 2024 whether i win this election or not i'm running for united states president okay so, but if I become U.S. Senator in Alaska this year, yeah, then I will have two years before 2024. Two years, to me, that's more than enough, okay? I will make things happen. And if I become, I'm kind of fantasizing right now, daydreaming, okay? <laughs> so, but let's be, get rosy, okay? Uh, optimistic a little bit. So, if I become 2024 U.S. President, then the same thing, we did in Alaska, we can do that everywhere in America, okay? And uh, yeah, basically, uh, oil and gas, fossil fuel, uh, there's nothing to worry about it. There's nothing to worry about climate change. And uh, for people, I will have to educate people to get people's support. 
uh, that uh, carbon dioxide is not a bad thing, okay? We breathe in, breathe out every day, every single second. It's non-toxic, okay? And also, when it comes to uh, sustainability, yeah, people, some people are worried about maybe we'll run out of oil and gas if we are too much depend upon it. Yeah, it's legitimate concern. But the thing is this, like uh, uh, Mr. Jason pointed out earlier, uh, the thing is this, okay, uh, in northern Alaska, there were a lot of big trees and big animals uh, 100 million ago, and they, they died, and they got buried six feet under, and they become fossil fuel, okay? I understand that uh, we consume fossil fuel in a very fast speed, and it, uh, yeah, yeah, in general, yeah, it does take more time to form fossil fuel than... Uh, uh, they, they may consume, okay? But the thing is this, that uh, they can be over... Uh, I also wrote about it. It's a little bit complex concept. It's a little bit mathematical concept, okay? So, uh, fossil fuel, like dead animals and dead plants and dead all this algae, this monocellular like organisms in the sea, uh, they die every day, everywhere. Okay, so we are talking about entire globe, the planet Earth, so this big space will compensate for the time difference, like the time that generates fossil fuel naturally, and the time, the speed of time that we consume fossil fuel, yeah, there is that gap, but the ex vast expanse of space, like fossil fuel being generated everywhere on planet Earth, they will compensate for that. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, as you talk about this, uh, I had to read a, a book when I was getting my my undergraduate uh, degree, uh, and it was uh, part of an economics class. and And the book was written by a gentleman named Daniel Jurgen, and the book's title was The Prize. And Daniel Jurgen documents the rise of hydrocarbons in our culture as the dominant sort of defining. Um, basis for economics and and just the industrial revolution and development in general and um, one of the things that that he posed in his book at the end of the book is that this this idea that oil and gas comes from fossils may not necessarily be settled science mm -hmm. and that there was a gentleman that uh, ran an experiment he he had a hypothesis that that carbon uh, in the form of hydrocarbon or oil uh, whether that's gas or oil, uh, is actually more a more elemental uh, substance, kind of like uh, gold or silver or mercury or you know these these. If you look at your chart of elements, yeah, um, uh, that you maybe remember from your high school chemistry class, right? Um, and that uh, his his hypothesis was that that actually oil was more of a universal. Uh, elemental substance and that it's generated deep within the Earth's core mm -hmm. and that uh, it bubbles up kind of like magma does or um, you know uh, some of the the other things where you, you see uh, you know sulfur coming out of hot springs and that yep. kind of thing mm -hmm. and um, so the, this gentleman he received some funding to do an experiment in Scandinavia I can't remember which country it was but there is a there is a meteor uh, impact area where there's a large crater yeah and we have craters uh, across the United States as well. Uh, probably most famously is Crater Lake, you know, um, 
uh, and some of them are volcanic, some of them are, are from impacts from outer space. Right. Um, but uh, this one was from an impact from outer space. And his hypothesis was that uh, if you strike the Earth hard enough mm -hmm. in these impact zones, you will create carbon. Yeah, yeah. You, will, you will consolidate it in an extractable form. So he looked at this specific site because it was not a site that was known for any oil exploration or development, that there were no known reserves or deposits of oil in the area. Yeah. And then he got some uh, investors and funding, and you know I don't know if it was federal uh, or uh, government funded or not, but he began a drilling program right at the center of the impact zone. Yeah. And he drilled and drilled and drilled, and it is very, very hard rock because that rock is all metamorphosed yes. into one of the hardest, you know, forms of rock that you can you can come in contact with. So drilling through it just chews up your equipment. Yeah. And uh, he drilled for a long time. He ran very low on funds. He was, I think, he ran out of his budget several times, if I remember correctly. And they were about ready to cancel the program. But in the last days, uh -huh. literally days before he's going to shut down the rig, they struck oil. Ah, yes, yes. It wasn't a de it wasn't a uh, developable amount. Okay. You know they couldn't. It wasn't like they were going to put a, a an oil pump there or a derrick or whatever to extract extract and commoditize it. You know. Yeah. But he said that that the the their findings provided evidence that supported or at least pointed to the possibility of his hypothesis being accurate yes, yes. Um, or or that uh, you know there's also this other idea that that there are multiple ways that hydrocarbons come into being and we can look at coal mm -hmm. and we can see the fossils in the coal right you know and we can see that uh, through the coal beds you can also get oil yeah you know and and that's actually one thing that they do is they, they can extract they can actually make fuel from coal. Yes. And so, um, you know, the thing that, that I think as conservatives, we need to really, really continue to promote is that the science is not settled. Right. That the idea of, of scientific inquiry is that we're always asking questions we never stop. Yep. And the second that somebody says the science is settled is the second that they decide to become ignorant. Right. Because they believe they have arrived at the pinnacle of possibilities. Yep. And if anything, the universe has shown us that it's infinite yep. and the possibilities are infinite right you know so anyway um, an interesting conversation you know um, one of the things I did when I was in Juneau last year was we looked at energy policy for a while I sat as a aide on the resource committee and they talked about energy policy and one of the one of the exciting new technologies I looked at um, was the idea of harvesting uh, tidal action and yep. uh, wave swells. Yep. And there was a company out of Australia that we looked at. We even had uh, a letter that circulated through the legislature. The governor signed it um, and uh, it went to our congressional delegation. Mm -hmm. Lisa Murkowski, um, uh, Dan Sullivan, and Don Young all looked at it, yeah. or their staff did at least. And the idea was that Alaska's coastline has enough tidal energy yeah. potential 
to completely power the entire United States. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, unlike solar and wind, mm -hmm. tidal energy is constant. Right. Yes. It's constant. The water is constantly moving. The yep. moon constantly moves the water around the globe. There's always some kind of tidal action. There's always some kind of, of wave or swell action. Oh, yeah. And lots of different uh, technologies are developing out there for how do we generate clean, renewable electricity mm -hmm. from this. And one of the things I ran across that, you know, I would ask you to consider as you study and research and look at how you engage in, as a policymaker is the potential for the use of some energies that some people just kind of poo-foo and say, well, that'll never be a thing. One of them is um, hydrogen. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a square meter of hydrogen, I think, was the equivalent of, and I hope I'm not misquoting this, it's been a while since I read it, but it was like a square meter of hydrogen gas uh, had the same power as 47 uh, kilograms of TNT. Okay. okay. And uh, that's a tremendous source of, of energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, the problem is, is to get hydrogen, you have to have electricity. Okay. Because electricity is used to split hydrogen from water to crack the hydrogen atoms right. off of the the, uh, the oxygen atoms. Right, right. Uh, you can also crack hydrogen out of natural gas. Yep. Uh, because it's it's a part of natural gas as well. Mm -hmm. But that hydrogen, uh, you know, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the solution to all the world's energy problems yeah. was came from the source of life itself? Yep. From yep. water. Yep. I mean, you think about how do we do cleanup? When something's dirty, what do we use? We use water. Yeah. You know, uh, water is a great cleaning agent. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, water is in our air. We breathe it. Yes. We expel it from our bodies. Mm -hmm. it, 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 uh, it refreshes and restores. Yeah. You know, it can also degrade things like metal and thing through, things through electrolysis. But, but wouldn't it be amazing if our bush villages no longer had to have subsidies to run their diesel generators, but could have wave machines off their coast that are continually producing clean electricity without harming the environment mm -hmm. and that electricity in turn was used to crack water yeah. and generate hydrogen for the use for of the village and also to resell as a commodity when they create a surplus yeah you yeah. know and these are the questions and what's the viability what's the timeline well I, I can't answer those questions I know that there's a lot of companies across the world looking at this technology Toyota is one of them Toyota is using uh, hydrogen exclusively in their largest plant in Japan, their yep. largest manufacturing facility, uh, for their energy needs and for their their uh, their um, their metalworks. Yeah. And then uh, Siemens, the German company, mm -hmm. uh, they are also using, uh, I think, six megawatts of solar energy to generate hydrogen for the use in their manufacturing processes. So they're completely getting off of, of hydrocarbons. Yeah. And Alaska needs to stay relevant. Alaska needs to continue to be a place of innovation and a leader in the world's cleanest extraction of, of energy. Yeah. We have a good record for that, mm -hmm. you know, for, for uh, extracting oil in cleaner ways than anywhere else on the planet. Yeah. And so that would be something I'd ask you to consider. The other thing is, uh, micro nuclear. 
know, people start thinking about Three Mile Island and Chernobyl when you say nuclear, nuclear. But uh, uh, the uh, the Westinghouse company, and I believe Toshiba as well, yeah. uh, now sell what they call a nuclear battery, and they use a fissile material uh, for for their fusion um, reaction. Yeah. Uh, that is a uh, a less volatile. Um, medium than uranium okay you know so in in these big nuclear reactors you see on tv and you know like chernobyl and those at three mile island they're using uranium yeah you know and when that stuff melts down or has a problem yep. everybody around dies yeah. or gets sick but these new batteries they're using salts and and different uh less caustic materials that um Basically, uh, Westinghouse has a battery that's the size of a shipping container. A city purchases this, brings it in, they plug it into their grid, mm -hmm. they use it for 10 years, and when it's depleted, they send it back to Westinghouse, and Westinghouse recycles it yep. and, bring, and sends you another one. And they're, they're designed in a way that if their containment unit in that, in that shipping container is breached, right. it doesn't kill everybody around them. Mm -hmm. Because that that material is is not uh, is not harmful in the same way that that uranium is. So yeah, yeah. anyway, interesting interesting things to consider and talk about. And you know, we should each have a cup of coffee right now to do it over. You know, and <laughs> you got you got you got the life water there, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got your own bottle of hydrogen. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, what other policy issues? Uh, Can I make some comments on yeah. what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting because uh, Mr. Jason Floyd, uh, uh, we met yesterday. Right. And uh, you introduced yourself right. to me as a conservative. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, big part of me is also conservative, okay? But uh, I'm running as an independent, okay? So, uh, when it comes to politics, like, Liberal Democrats versus uh, conservative Republicans, okay? Right. Uh, the idea of alternative energy, like we are talking about uh, uh, the tidal wave and also uh, uh, something like you said, like micro-nuclear battery. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also mentioned uh, just a little bit about solar power. And uh, so, and also... There was one thing. One hydrogen. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hydrogen uh, power. So those alternative source of energy are that's more uh, more Democrats than more more Democrats than Republicans would uh, have that position. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And and my question is, why do they get to claim that as their territory? Why 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 are Republicans more Republicans not saying? it makes just good sense to do things cleaner and more efficiently. Now, I understand the price point, and that's one of the big factors that the Republicans don't, or the Democrats don't care about. They don't care about how economically viable it is as long as they get paid from the government and subsidized to put these things in. And that's all about redistribution of wealth for their pet project. Right. But as a capitalist, as a Republican, yeah. I look at issues like the environmental uh, issues surrounding energy and clean energy, and I say we should own that issue ah, because Republicans and capitalists create and they build and they innovate 
and they make things efficient. They understand how money works, where typically Democrats wait for a good idea, then they take that good idea and they twist it to figure out how they can extract their wealth from it. They're not out there promoting and building new things in monetizable ways. And a good example of this is, you look at Elon Musk. You know, they say he's the richest man in the world today. And what did he say just recently about hydrocarbons? He said, drill, we need to drill. We need to produce more oil. Well, Elon Musk is an entrepreneur. He's a capitalist, right? And, and I don't know all of his social politics, uh, you know, whether he, uh, you know, is, is socially liberal or not. But at least on a, on a, uh, a business level and economics level, he understands what's economically viable and what's not. And he understands the, the evolution that an industry has to go through before it becomes economically viable, mm -hmm. where everyone can use it. And we can look at cell phones. When cell phones first came out, very few people could afford them. Now they're everywhere. Everybody has a cell phone. The same thing with flat screen TVs. Well, Teslas are very expensive. Yeah. Eventually, when the science catches up to the economy mm -hmm. and we can extract all the heavy minerals we need for their batteries yep. and figure out a way to, to power all their factories to smelt all those space-age uh, materials they use in building them, yep. you know, then everybody will own a Tesla, probably. Okay. You know, maybe. Uh, I won't, because in Alaska right now, the technology can't create a car that will allow you to arrive at your destination and run the heater at the same time. Okay. Okay. You have to either run the heater or arrive at your destination. Okay. If you run the heater, you don't have enough power to arrive at your destination on these long trips. Yep. So, <laughs> it's, um, you know, I, I think that that's what we need to do. As Republicans, we need to look at every single issue the Democrats have mm -hmm. and say, how do we how do we take that issue back, and how do we give it common sense? Okay. How do we give it? How do we uh, make it uh, based truly in liberty and not in this socialistic idea of redistribution of of one other person's wealth into our pockets okay. and use this uh, this policy as our sort of our excuse for taking that guy's money over there and yeah. using it for our own purpose. Okay. I really like your thought process and I have huge respect and admiration of uh, your intelligence and also your spirit of freedom, <laughs> spirit of freedom. You, you need to be around when I'm arguing with my children. <laughs> I'll say, hey, listen to what Honky's saying. He's, he's saying I'm a smart guy, so stop arguing with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are willing to step outside of this traditional Republican value to reach out, I think you, you can make an amazing politician, okay? So, uh, oh man, that's, I'm not sure that that's a good endorsement. I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't, I, yeah, well, thank you very much for the compliment. Yeah, you're very open-minded, <laughs> and uh, everything that you said about alternative energy source, I 100% agree with you, because uh, I'm independent, so I'm open-minded. And uh, so the difference between liberals and conservatives is this, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, philosophy or political science. So uh, Democrats, liberals, progressives, uh, they're about something new, okay? And uh, so 
like something brand new like marijuana, gay marriage, or tattoos, piercings, alternative lifestyle. And so they're about something new, okay? That's why they call themselves progressives, okay? Now, we are talking about Republicans, conservatives, Christians. They're about tradition. So uh, they are the kind of people who appreciate the past, the uh, heritage. So that's the main difference between uh, Democratic Party and Republican Party, okay? So I, I'm independent. I, I love both new and old, okay? But you have to understand this. Something that is traditional, something very old, it does not mean it's something very bad or something very good. They're good old and bad old. Something new is the same thing. There's good new and bad new. Okay, so you have to make independent judgment. And also, something that is mainstream majoritarian thing today, like mainstream majoritarian popular ideology, it could be good, it could be bad. So being a majority mainstream thing, it does not always mean it's good or bad, okay? You have to make independent judgment. Also, something that is minority ideology, unpopular ideology, does not necessarily mean it's good or bad. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, okay? So uh, you, you just have to make independent judgment on anything, okay? So I just want to throw it out there. It's kind of a philosophical point, actually, so... Yeah, yeah um, you know... <laughs> So, so a lot of people will become Democrats or Republicans because they, they ascribe to a dogma, right? Yeah. It, it becomes a religion, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And, and uh, I know a lot of free-thinking conservatives who look at the Republican Party as the best vehicle forward to uh, achieve their agenda or uh, their philosophy. Um, but they don't necessarily live or die by the title Republican. Okay. And uh, maybe that's that's a definition of you. Uh, you know, I, I asked you when we first met if uh, <laughs> if independent was the code word for Democrat, because it seems in Alaska a lot of Democrats, knowing that we're a very conservative state, will run as independents. Al Gross was one of these people who called himself an independent when clearly, clearly he was not independent. And. Um, uh, so it's it'll be interesting to see the evolution of the party system because I think as we become more polarized uh, and um, and more dogmatic that more and more people are becoming disenchanted with the systems and more and more people are self-identifying if we want to borrow that liberal term self-identifying as independent or free thinkers or or not beholding to an establishment, and and when we talk about conservatives holding on to tradition, we can uh, we can look at the Democrats and say that they are holding on to the traditional Democrat sort of um, ideology and platform, and they're just as dogmatic as the Republicans. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I when I define Democrats and Republicans, or the difference between conservatives and liberals, if we want to take the party labels off of them, you know, I see that the the conservative starts from a naturally defensive position. that uh, they are secure in who they are, where they are, and what they are. They are not looking for change. 
uh, or if they are, they want people to allow them to pursue that change in their own pace, their own steam, their own self-determined way. Yeah. Um, and that, that as conservatives, they do value the institutions and the traditions and the culture that came before. They honor that, you know, it's kind of like honoring your elders. Um, because mm -hmm. there's wisdom in history yeah. and uh, you know the many great people have pointed to the fact that if you don't study history you're doomed to what repeat it yeah. and there are things in history we don't want to repeat but um, you know traditionally conservatives are these folks that that are holding fast holding ground trying to trying to say you know everything that exists around us right now is pretty much good there are some things we don't like but but we're gonna defend these things because we know people slaved and fought and bled and died for these things to build these these social constructs yeah, right? yeah. whereas the progressive starts from an offensive position yeah. where they look at everything around them in the world and they say we can make it better mm -hmm. everything can be made better but the problem is is that many progressives and and, and this is not to say all progressives are this way but most of them a majority of the progressives i've met are this way when they say better they say better as i define it yeah not better as we as a culture define it but better as myself and my small group of friends define it and in a way where we control it which becomes the new norm. They want to change all the social norms to new norms, but they, they want to hold on to control of those norms. Yeah. And they're willing to take from other people to secure that territory. Mm -hmm. And and rather than build it themselves with the, the, uh, the fruits of their own labor, yeah. they want to go to the farmer in the field and say, this portion of your crop that you just slaved a year for, is now ours right. and we're gonna take it to another county who has decided not to farm and we're gonna give them that portion of your crop yep. because they don't have a crop right and what do they leave the farmer in the field well you should feel good yep they yep. leave him with good feelings okay they don't give him a paycheck Mm -hmm. You know, they don't they don't leave him with anything. They just redistribute the fruit of his labor. And so I would be more sympathetic to uh, a progressive ideology if they could carry their own water. If yeah, they yeah. could if they could move their movement forward with just their own resources, their own funds, their own people, but they continually wield government as a weapon against those who just want to be left alone and say you cannot mind your own business and we will not mind our own business. We are going to get into your business and then we're going to tell you what to do with your business. Okay. You know, and uh, so that's, that's kind of the, the political philosophy that I ascribe to when I, when I look at what does it mean to be a conservative versus what does it mean to be a progressive. And that conservatism is a much broader definition than republicanism. Right. Hey, can I get more some water oh, no, yeah, no yeah. ice, please? Water yeah. no ice. Hey, Julia, can you hook him up with some oxygen and hydrogen? Can you give him some oxygen and hydrogen, please? Yeah, water on the ice, please. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, very, very uh, stimulating conversation. So, um, can I make some comments? Yes, what sir. You said? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad uh, Mr. Jensen Fuller is such a smart person, very well educated, so, and so am I. I'm smart, I'm very well educated as well. So that's why we are intellectually compatible and having this very fruitful intellectual discussion. 
Thank you, ma'am. So uh, let's let's we are comparing Democratic Party and Republican Party. Okay, so uh, uh, the way I look at it is this. Okay, uh, I agree with. Uh, like 99% of what you said, okay? Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm independent. Uh, I like the fact that America has uh, two parties. Because otherwise, we'll be like uh, China or Russia. Where Italy. Italy. <laughs> you got to look at that. I yeah. think Italy's got, you know, I can't remember. It's like over, over 20 parties in okay. Italy. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we do on political diversity. And it's a complementary system. Uh, because uh, in America, we have, I mean, we have, we have other parties, but mostly it's Democrats and Republicans, okay? So, to simplify the discussion, okay? Uh, so, I mean, even independence, you, you can be slightly left-leaning and slightly right-leaning, okay? So, with, for the simplified discussion, let's just say we have Democrats and Republicans, that's it, okay? So, uh, it's good that we have this two-party system, okay? Because otherwise, we, we don't want to be like China or Russia or Cuba, North Korea, that has only one party. It's checks and balance between two parties because one interesting thing about American democracy, constitutional republic is such that uh, Democrats and Republicans, they always disagree. Okay, so depending on issues, right? Abortion, yeah. Uh, Democrats pro-abortion, uh, Republicans anti-abortion. LGBT, uh, again, I'm simplifying, okay? LGBT, yeah, Democrats are pro-LGBT, uh, Republicans are anti-LGBT, okay? So, uh, if Democrats and Republicans always disagree on issues, it means at least 50% of Americans are always right, okay? Depending on issues, when Democrats are wrong, Republicans are right. When we Republicans are wrong, then Democrats are right. So that's very healthy checks and balance system. Okay. Now, I'm independent, and uh, Democrats they are kind of like mother love, like soft love. Okay. Uh, Republicans they're more like tough love, like father's love. So uh, it's good balancing. It's like parenting system. One mother, one father. Okay. Uh, so is is I really appreciate about uh, both two parties, like Republicans and Democrats. Uh, sometimes I do agree with Democrats. Sometimes I do agree with the Republicans. Uh, it, that's why I have to be independent. Okay. So, uh, but uh, uh, in Alaska. Uh, I look at the statistics. Uh, Alaska is the only state in America where uh, independents uh, outnumber. Have a chance. <laughs> we, I, I mean, we are talking about the voting population, okay? Right, right. Yeah, registered voters, okay? So, independents, the number of independents exceed. Uh, Democrats and registered Democrats and Republicans combined. Yeah, Alaska yeah. is the only state. And, and like our that. district here in Kenai and Soldatna is a good example of that. And that's that is the that's the honest truth. Mm -hmm. Now I have done kind of a straw poll of, of uh, people over the years as I've talked to them about why they are independent, mm -hmm. and many of them have said we're independent because the party left us. Yeah. The party left us. Right. Not we left the party. Yep. And uh, I had one gentleman who. Uh, I asked him, he was part of a committee that I'd formed uh, for recalling one of our local politicians, and uh, I asked him if he would register as a Republican, and he said, no, they're too liberal for me. <laughs> <laughs>
so so there's a lot of there's a lot of disenchanted disenfranchised people out there you know as we talk about this trend of you know as as these parties the parties become more and more dogmatic and the Republicans are a good example of this last week when they basically censured David Eastman, kicking him out of the uh, Republican caucus and then going to the state meeting and saying that uh, anybody who gets educated by the uh, Foundation for Applied Conservative Leadership can no longer receive an endorsement or funding from the Republicans. They're basically engaging in council, cancel culture within their own party yep. and picking winners and losers and telling people if you don't think exactly the same way that we do or you as, as, ascribe to this one philosophy or this one school of thought on how to activate the grassroots and engage politicians in honest discussions about how they should be voting and what happens when they don't vote the correct way then then they're just pushing more and more of the grassroots out yep and we're going to continue to see the building of this this independent-minded voter and it's going to become increasingly more difficult for the parties yep. to keep a control mm -hmm. of who comes into their system now we haven't even talked about ranked choice voting right you know what's that going to look like for the future with ranked choice voting when when uh what happens when a bunch of independent minded people get mobilized so uh, when about a year ago, uh, so 2021, okay, two years ago, 2020, when I was running for Alaska State Senate in Matsu Valley, Greater Washington area, yeah, I lost that election uh, in the Republican Party's primary. I used to be registered Republican back then, two years ago. And um, so back then, yeah, I did not like the idea of this uh, open primary, ranked choice vo voting. I did not like that idea, okay, because I thought uh, the the way primaries run, I think it should be up to the party. Like uh, Democrats, they decide how their primaries run, and Republican Party, they decide how their primaries run. Because I like freedom, okay. So, but that was two, two years ago, and now that I'm running for U.S. Senate as an independent. I came to like that idea because that kind of give me more probability to win this election, okay? Because uh, this year, August 2022, uh, there are right now about 15 candidates running for U.S. Senate in Alaska. I'm one of them, okay? So top four out of 15 people will go to general election in November 2022. So if I make top four, Okay, if I make top four, then uh, I will get more known because four of us will be invited to like uh, come to debate or candidate forum, more interviews, more uh, letters to editors. So if I make top four, ideally, optimistically, I think I will win this election. Why? Now, now you said you said uh, previously that you were uh, a mathematician. You studied math, and 
And, um, you know, I studied math too, but not well. <laughs> it used to be uh, my strong suit, and then I hit my head when I was a junior in high school, and that part of my brain just said, nope, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to uh, process very slowly. So I'm like one of those first laptops that came out when you'd give it a command and it'd just sit there and look at you. Yeah, yeah that's me. So... <laughs> But, uh, but one thing I know is that uh, there, there, there's this huge rise in the application of uh, something called game theory. And they're using it in marketing, they're using it uh, in all kinds of aspects that weren't used, it, it wasn't designed initially to be used for, but they're yep. finding that game theory and the psychology behind game theory is something that can lead to some, uh, or, or cause things to trend towards a predetermined outcome. Yep. And a lot of people have looked at ranked choice voting, but I don't think they're looking deep enough because I think ranked choice voting was designed by people who under truly understand game theory. Okay. And that it's a it's a way to game the system. And yep. what you've just described actually is saying, hey, here's a guy who's not accepting any money not raising any funds, mm -hmm. just spending out of his own pocket to run his campaign, who's using primarily social media right. to get his name out there, and that there's the potential, because of how ranked choice voting has been designed, that you could actually end up in a leading position going going out of the primaries to where, where you actually end up being invited to the table or, or elected to the table by the the public because of an algorithm yeah. you know and, and that's an interesting and disturbing sort of idea now <laughs> now for you you know it's very I, I guess it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out right. you know and uh, but but I, I have this suspicion I, I'm, I'm suspicious yeah that there's there's some great grand chess master behind the scenes who has designed this game theory model that says we are going to change Alaska to purple and then to blue over a very short period of time by manipulating their electoral system and there aren't very many places in the world that use ranked choice voting That's right so we're like a big experimental playground yep. for people who want to tear the system down and rebuild it in a different way. Okay. Yeah, so uh, the red source, I, I did uh, do some research and there are some other states that have done this before. So, um, so uh, can I tell you some more about uh, my fantasy? <laughs> as long as we keep it PG. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like a political fantasy. Political fantasy. Political fantasy. Okay. So, uh, so um, I'm independent. Okay. So dark horse candidate, very unknown candidate. So, but uh, because this August primary 2022 in Alaska top 4 out of 15 people go to general election in November so if I make 4th place hypothetically let's say it might be Lisa Mikorski Kelly Chibaka and somebody else and then me I'm the 4th place hypothetically and then 4 of us will be invited from to all different places to have a debate and maybe individual interviews and some uh, radio shows and podcasts and uh, newspapers, op-ed, right? And they will be from uh, August to November for three months. So Alaskan voters will see out of four people, 
who is the smartest, who is the funnest, and they will be me. There's no question about it. <laughs> I am smarter than all the other candidates combined. I'm more funnier, more entertaining. I I background as an entertainer. Like I know how to sing and dance. You you take a crazy selfie. I have to admit. I you know I, I you've got the Albert Einstein thing going with your hair. Yep. And uh, you do have a, an interesting personality. Um, well, you know, it's been awesome to sit down and talk to you again. We we are coming up on 55 minutes. Yep. Boy, time flies when we're having fun. I'm going to need to take a restroom break, and I've got a lineup of other folks that are going to speak to us today. I've got uh, Joe the Prospector uh, coming on. He was somebody who helped us out during COVID by buying $500 worth of black coffee, and uh, or Prospector John, rather. And then I've got another guy uh, from the uh, gold mining, uh, gold panners, Association of America. I got to talk to him about gold on our golden beaches. Uh, Salamatov Beach here in Kenai uh, was one of uh, a few beach placers that were discovered by early explorers and uh, I got to look at some gold yesterday that they just pulled off the beach so not very far from where I grew up and uh, so we're going to interview those folks. Uh, Chris Kirka is in the house. He has uh, showed up and uh, he's had a very busy week weekend but we want to get him online uh, here and uh, and also we have a we have a Democrat who is going to come on the conservative hour of power uh, we are an open platform I want to hear from anybody who is willing to talk to us uh, we're still crossing our fingers and hoping that Ron Gillum will come and join us uh, he's still in the building and I keep looking his direction but uh, he's now avoiding my eye contact and um, I don't know that we will see him if he is we'll give him uh, a fair amount of time to talk about what he's been doing in Juno and what he'll bring to the the field in this next uh, round of uh, leadership if if he should be reelected. Uh, Justin Ruffridge who is running against him is uh, I believe a Democrat um, he was one who promoted the uh, mandated masking of people in uh, Soldatna. Fortunately, that, that ordinance did not pass, um, but uh, he had one of his staffers come and talk to us yesterday, and I don't know that he'll come talk to us. He was kind of hostile, <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, we got lots of people to talk to. I'm looking right at Aaron McGann from Team McGann, and uh, they're doing some awesome things out at Twin Cities Raceway uh, with kids. Uh, we're hoping to get him. So we've got a lot of people to talk to and not a lot of time left. So thank you very much. Uh, uh, we've been speaking with Honky Lee, and um, check out his, his Facebook page. His uh, Do you have an Instagram as well? Yes, sir. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Blogger, Reddit. And um, Zoom. Zoom. You and, do Zoom uh, stuff on yeah, Fridays. YouTube, Vimeo. Yeah, I mean, all many different places. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. It was a pleasure to talk to you again. And you've been listening to the Amokan Coffee Social Club, Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. I'll sign off real quickly through the magic pushing of buttons, and we will join you right back here in what will seem like mere moments. But it's probably going to take me five minutes to run to the... Uh, facilities and back. <laughs> Talk to you soon guys. And welcome back to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon and this is a special edition, special episode, day number three at the Kenai Peninsula Realtors Association Kenai 
uh, Peninsula uh, Sports Rec and Trade Show. And uh, I am sitting here with uh, Mike Coons, uh, local uh, uh, character and miner. Uh, and we don't mean as far as a, a younger person. Uh, he is the miner of the uh, Miner 49er variety. And uh, Mike, uh, welcome to the show. We had a little bit of a conversation yesterday. Uh, you want to tell us, uh, now you're at a booth. Tell me a little bit about your booth. I'm, we're, I'm over there with uh, uh, the GPAA uh, booth. Uh, it's the Gold Prospectors of America and uh, Joe's Mining and Diving. And we're uh, uh, promoting our uh, club uh, for our meetings uh, that are the first Thursday of every month. And uh, at 6 o'clock at Carrados Restaurant. And of course, Joe's uh, Mining and Diving uh, shop on the North Road. Now, is that, is that over by RPM? Uh, I, I think there's a gold mining thing next to RPM, uh, uh, the, the racing garage. Is that yeah, over by yeah. Wildwood Drive? Yes. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's, so folks, as you head out towards Nikiski, on the right-hand side, just before you reach Wildwood Drive, uh, headed out to the prison there, there's RPM. It's an old gas station that they do uh, fine-tuning on race cars. And just before that, there's a, uh, it's like, a, I think, a mini storage facility. Uh, Facility and I've seen I've seen signage there for gold mining stuff. Yeah, uh, I've never I've honestly I've never I've never gone in there. I've always been in a hurry. I'm either going to or coming from Nikiski, and um, but uh, so you know it's interesting. Uh, I don't know how many people are aware, but Alaska, we have gold. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pete, in case you weren't paying attention when you were in the, your Alaska history class. Uh, we have gold, and right here on the Kenai Peninsula, we have a special kind of gold, and it's called a beach placer gold. Can you tell us a little bit about beach placer gold, where it's found, and what your, uh, your uh, I guess, association with that type of mining is? Oh, absolutely. Uh, beach placer gold is uh, it's left there by the glaciers, uh, and it's been ground up pretty good. And it's extremely fine. It's almost like cosmetic powder. Uh, but what's really interesting about it is there's a lot of it. And uh, we've had it assayed out. It comes out about 85% pure gold. That's uh, point. Uh, that's 999 pure gold. It's also about 14.5% silver, and it's actually got about 3.39% uh, uh, platinum. So it, it's extremely high in pure gold. Uh, the uh, Joe and myself and several other fellows uh, have uh, 27 claims on the Kenai Beach, and we do have the beach claimed up. Uh, so they are private claims, and uh, we go out there and uh, we set up equipment like uh, a cube or a high banker or or sluice boxes in some of the little streams that are there. And we uh, shovel the black sand and uh, and that into it, and it runs over the riffles, and we catch that really, really fine cosmetically uh, uh, gold, and, and it does uh, it does accumulate. I will tell you, 
Now, they call that, uh, in some places, they call that flour gold. Absolutely. So just like when your mom was making that bread back when you were a kid and she was throwing that flour down and hitting it with, you know, the dough, we're talking gold that is, is fine enough that you can actually float it just on the surface tension of the water. And uh, I have a little bit of experience with that myself. Uh, that's how I actually met Mike, is uh, we were kind of talking about different gold mining areas and placer gold deposits around the state. I've lived in Nome and in Valdez and had an opportunity to get involved in it. It's a great hobby. If, uh, you know, now making money doing gold, there's a reason why there are not all sorts of people in them there hills. It's uh, back-breaking work, and uh, it takes a lot of it, a lot of those tiny little pieces of flour to make something. But um, now you were telling me that you guys had, uh, when you did the assay, you melted the gold into little discs or into dore. What? How, how many ounces did you send off? Well, we had uh, we had a fellow here a couple years ago. Uh, he gathered up uh, uh, his gold from a full season, and uh, he, we uh, we melted it into a into a button. Into a and, button, okay. Yeah, into a button, and then we had it assayed, and and uh, that button was uh, 2.2 ounces. Okay, all so right. It does add up. So There's, what do you do? You know what the spot price of gold is today? Uh, it is 18 uh, or 1883 dollars and 88 cents. So I'm no mathematician, but that times 2.5, uh, we're talking about four grand. Uh, pretty, pretty close. Yeah. So a little button of gold is about four grand worth of value. Now here's an interesting little factoid that people don't really know. Did you know that when you uh, mine for gold and you get your gold, as long as you hold your gold and you don't exchange it for cash, it's not a taxable income. That's a fact. That's a fact. So, so uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty interesting fact when uh, we look at the, econo the, the economy around us right now and inflation and a lot of, you know, you hear the advertisements, right, on, on the radio. It, it, it becomes an asset. Invest in gold. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, um, interesting. So, uh, so people can come down to your meetings. Uh, now, say, say the is it first Thursday. It is the first Thursday, first Thursday of every month. Every at month. Six o'clock. Paradosos, a fine eatery Absolutely. in in uh, Kenai. They got a now. Do you guys meet in their back room, the big one or the yeah. small one? In the back room, it's the big room. The big room, okay. And uh, we we have a good bunch of uh, folks come in there. We talk about uh, what's going on uh, in the uh, the mining uh, uh, things going on on the, in the peninsula and th uh, anything going on with the DNR. And uh, we talk about that's, uh, a, that's the division of natural resources. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And so, so there's regulations, folks. Oh, yes, there are. There, there is a lot of regulation actually around mining. So, I assume that at these meetings that you're offering some educational information. Absolutely, we and we come up with new ones every time because DNR continually comes up with new ones that we never heard of before uh, every month. Kind of a game, isn't it? Uh, it, it is a, a real interesting game, and it is costly because they do charge us continually. Uh, we do pay uh, rent on our claims, 
uh, yearly, and it, it escalates yearly. Uh, we it's have uh, it's quite you're a bit. Doing, it's because you're doing so well, right? Uh, yeah, we're supposed to be doing you're uh, killing extremely it. well. Extremely well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so do you break even? Uh, not even close. Myself, I don't even come close. Right. Uh, I did this uh, for exercise. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, a disabled veteran, and uh, Mike's all kind of busted up. Yeah. All kinds of busted up. I broke my neck about 20 years ago, and I, uh, so I do it uh, to get out, and I enjoy the uh, the outdoors. I get to smell the uh, the outdoor uh, weather. I could get to look at the. Uh, the mountains across the water, and I get to really enjoy myself and see the uh, see Alaska for what it is. Now, it's important, folks, to remember that uh, anytime you decide that you want to go mining, that you need to check out the land status of the area you are, because there's this concept in America called private property. And there's also miners' rights, the, all this uh, money that these miners have to spend to get the permitting and to uh, register their claims and maintain their claims. That, e that equates to real property. And, uh, and, and while they may not necessarily own the rights to cross the land, they do own the minerals that are on the, on the property. And so you can't just go out anywhere with a, with a shovel and a gold pan and just uh, think that you're not going to necessarily be uh, uh, impeding on somebody else's uh, or intruding on somebody else's rights. Um, now, my experience, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, is that you guys are a pretty friendly bunch of folks and that you would love to see more people in the woods and the mountains and the creeks, but, uh, but that there's rules to that. Absolutely. You know, it, the more people that get out there the, and, and the more fun there is and that people have, it's, you know, that's, that's what it's supposed to be all about. It's supposed to be fun. Right. You right. know? Uh, doing what we do, we're uh, we're recreational miners. And we're supposed to be having recreation. Now, there's quite a few GPAA claims around Alaska. I, I actually joined the GPAA a couple years back, and one of the things you get when you join the GPAA is their big book of claims. And, and man, that thing is huge, and it gives you the claims all over the country. That's right. And they're not just in Alaska. They're in basically every state and, and territory in, in the United States, and uh, it's amazing how much uh, mineral uh, access there is through those claims. Uh, there's some great claims uh, just up here in our own pass on the way to Anchorage. There's a couple of claims. Uh, there's one uh, right there uh, at uh, at Summit Lake Lodge. There's one uh, just before uh, that. Uh, uh, there's some bench claims up around um, Quartz Creek. Uh, there's some uh, actually really easily accessed claim, a really good one on uh, Crescent Creek. Um, but when you when you join the GPAA, they line you out and the nice thing about being with GPAA is you don't have to go and make the claim. No. You don't have to maintain the fees and stuff on the claim. The GPAA does all that for you. Right. And when it, when you become a member of the GPAA, we'll, we'll supply you with a uh, uh, with a starter kit, uh, with you a get pan a, a snuffer bottle and a gold pan. Yeah, and the book. And that and book, book is and invaluable. You know what I like? I like the DVD I got. Yeah. I got a DVD that showed the bump method. Yeah. The bump method perfected in Gnome. 
And uh, so, you know, it, it's exciting to see people out and recreating and kind of getting past this COVID fear, you know, the lockdown, lockdown mania. And uh, I cannot think of any better way to socially distance than to go out and go gold prospecting. Boy, isn't that the truth. You know, so, um, well, we, we really are appreciative of your time. And uh, folks, there's still a little bit of time. Uh, I'm, you probably won't hear this message till uh, after the fact because I don't publish till the evening. But uh, there's still opportunity to connect with folks like Mike outside of this uh, venue. Go to uh, check out the, the meeting there at, at Paradisos. And uh, Mike said that he's been known to take folks onto the claim and, uh, and do stuff. So go build a relationship, build a friendship with these guys. They want to expand the, the, the camaraderie, the, the social uh, and cultural aspects of the mining community. Raise awareness because, you know, there's a lot of people who would like to shut mining down. Absolutely. And, and they don't necessarily understand that there's a whole... There's a whole ethical way of doing this, a way that respects the environment and uh, respects the resource and, and uh, allows you to do this activity and, and still you know, take care of our fisheries and take care of our woodlands. And, you know, because I, I strongly believe we're supposed to be stewards of these resources, that we should be able to enjoy them, but we also have a high ethical and moral responsibility to preserve them uh, or make them available to the next generation as well. Absolutely, you know, it, it, we're stewards of the land. Uh, we, we do respect it immensely. And uh, when we go out on the beach, for instance, you know, the, there's a bluff out there and we respect that bluff immensely. Uh, we do not touch it any uh, in any way, shape, or form. And there are people who <laughs> literally have their house on top of the bluff. So. Absolutely. And so you start undercutting the bluff, you're undercutting somebody's house. Absolutely. <laughs> Unfortunately, yard. we've had people go up on there uh, that are not part of our group, and we've, we've had to call them on it. You know, but uh, the idea is we're stewards of the land, and if you can't... Uh, if you can't grow it, you've got to mine it. Yeah, yeah, you know? you, and you got to be a good neighbor when you do both things. Exactly. Yeah, so, well, it's all about personal responsibility. It's about building community. It's about fun and respect and, and just uh, training up the next generation in the way that they should go. You know, that's a biblical thing. It says there's, there's a biblical uh, uh, scripture that says, uh, train a child up in the way that they should go, and in their old age they shall not depart from it. Absolutely. And, and you know, a lot of folks would equate that to, you know, training them up in the Lord and, and knowing their maker and uh, following his rules. Well, one of his rules was to be a good steward of, of the, the gift he gave us. And uh, that includes the minerals in the ground. That's a fact. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Mike. We're going to go ahead and roll on, and I'm going to try and grab a couple more vendors before we get sucked back into the political vortex. And uh, But uh, I look forward to coming and, and breaking some bread with you guys over there. And uh, maybe I can pull myself away from the shop for a weekend and, and come out and experience one of your gatherings. It sounds like a good time. Thank you, Jason. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, and welcome back to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. I have Daniel Nevejas and Christopher Kirka seated across from me at uh, this beautiful venue here in uh, the ice rink of Soldatna's uh, Regional Sports Complex. 
And uh, Christopher Kirka, for those who are familiar with the show, uh, or those who aren't, rather, uh, is running for Alaska's uh, governor's seat. He's uh, running against uh, a pretty uh, shallow field of shallow individuals. And um, uh, he's probably really the only conservative that's running. I, I know that uh, Charlie Pierce is saying he's very conservative, but you've all heard my diatribe about him and where his conservatism lies. He's a nice guy, but I really don't want him to be governor. Um, he is welcome to come on the show, and he may yet grace his with his presence. But right now, we have Christopher Kirka and uh, and Daniel. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you, Jason. So glad to be here. So, uh, Daniel, uh, you look like uh, look like you're not from here. <laughs> That's right. So I am actually from Oklahoma. Uh, just to live in Guthrie, just a little bit north of Oklahoma City. Now, how close to Muskogee is that? It is a little ways away. Okay, because that's all I know about Oklahoma. An Okie from Muskogee? That's right. That's it. Yep, the Okie <laughs> from Muskogee. All right. And uh, a little bit closer to home here, Christopher Kirka comes to us from Wasilla. That's not where you were raised, though. No, I grew up in Eagle River. Eagle River. But I'm, I'm a third generation. Right. So so tell us a little bit about this. Now, Chris, you're, you're already in a political office. Uh, what What's that look like? Well, I, I got elected in 2020 to the state house, and I've been down in Juneau um, fighting for... Uh, Here, just a second. got to make sure that... Uh, there is we my go. mic on? Your, your mic's back on now. Yeah, okay. so red means uh, mute, and you were muted. Wondering what's going you on know, I, I was just that was that was that was a practice in what the mainstream media has been doing to you. Oh yeah, you're talking <laughs> and right. you're talking and saying intellectually stimulating <laughs> things, and the media is like, oh, nothing to see here. Let's mm -hmm. just hit the mute button. All right, so start over. Yeah. Well, now now we have somebody on a louder microphone than ours. <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> in here when they when they put that on okay yeah. so, so so yes I'm from Wasilla. Wasilla I was raised in the River I'm a third-generation Alaskan third-generation Republican I um, uh, got elected in 2020 to the state house I went down there to fight for freedom for to fight for smaller budgets to fight for the statutory PFD and uh, you know I, I'm one of uh, many freshmen who went to do that but um, one of the thing I understand one of the things I understand about politics that many don't is that this is war you don't just get to go in there and be, try to be all things to all people and make make nice with everybody. You're going to be enemies with some people, and you can you can work across the aisle. You can be nice to people, but <clears throat> when it comes down to it, you need to understand this is war, and um, they're trying to win, and so we have to be trying to win. And um, one of the things that's been very disappointing to me in the legislature is the conservatives are earning the reputation of having the surrender caucus. And that's not what I signed up to do, Jason. I didn't sign up to surrender. I have an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and the state of Alaska. And there's no clause in there for surrender. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's this term and uh, it has its roots in ancient Greek. Uh, I believe it's either Greek or Latin. So, the term, the the word is sophomore. 
Are you aware of what the definition of a sophomore is? Isn't it like a wise fool? A wise fool. It's amazing, wow. it's amazing to me how many freshmen just can't wait to become sophomores. <laughs> Last year there was all this piss and vinegar, you know, mm -hmm. the, the new class that came in. We're gonna change the world. Conservatism will rule. And oh, by the way, we're gonna fight over who gets to be in leadership for the first 30 days. And oh, by the way, uh, we're gonna capitulate and, and, and a couple of us are gonna slough off as rhinos. And, but we're gonna all hold the line, all 16 strong. We're gonna, we're gonna hold the line, we're gonna hold the line, hold it, hold. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now we're in year two. Oh, that's right, we have an election this fall. Um, you know, we need a scapegoat. Who, who can we pick to be a scapegoat? Hey, there's that red-headed guy over there. Man, we love to beat him up every year. So David Eastman, you, you're our mm -hmm. scapegoat. Now all of these freshmen have become spineless slime. You know, and, and I don't say that um, in a comical way. I really detest what they've done to uh, the conservative voice in Juno. And, and I know that you and David um, have been uh, politically affiliated for many years. You're usually on the same side of almost probably if I had to guess 95% of the topics that come up um, mm -hmm. and he's a very conservative voice you're a very conservative voice now you raised your voice last week uh, in opposition to something right. that happened can you tell us anything give us a little insight into what this sort of the this <coughs> environment that has evolved in the last two years in Juneau looks like you say that you know um, it's not what some people hoped or thought it would be so tell us a little bit more about that yeah, well, um, I don't know what David told you when he came on, but um, how much of the kind of the scuttlebutt he was really giving you. But so the, de the decision was made to uh, kick David out of the caucus um, uh, against my protest. I believe there were some other caucus members who were not fans of that idea either, but um, there wasn't really room for dissent. There really wasn't opportunity given for an honest discussion about it. It was a there was no trial, there was no due process about what he had supposedly done wrong. And I'll tell you what the crux of this issue is, what I believe is going on here. And the, the only reason, honestly, that I have not been kicked out of the caucus is I'm not running for re-election. I'm running for governor. And so I'm a non-factor in, in what's, what, what the, what's going on here. What's going on here is virtue signaling to the moderates and to the liberals that they're safe to caucus with in a majority next year. They're safe, they're not real conservatives. Look, we can put a conservative down, we can put David Eastman down, we can put the real conservatives down, we're safe to, we're safe to caucus with in a, in a binding caucus majority. I think probably uh, the most of the Republican caucus don't even understand that's what's going on and they're just going along because they're sheep, but that's really what's going on here. Is they're posturing, they're virtue signaling in advance, and jockeying for, for, for leadership positions for next year's majority caucus because they want to be in a majority. They're, they're, they're desperate for that power. They're desperate to be in a majority. They don't see any fruit in standing up and being a loyal voice of opposition. Doesn't that require for, for you to be in the majority to, to be able to stand on some principle and uh, unify as a team around some altruistic goals or, or is this really just a tyranny of, of, of the majority and that's the only way it's going to work out in Juneau? It should because, require... Because I know a lot require, of us had higher hopes. Oh yeah, it should require that you show true leadership and you're willing to fight for your values. But 
the, 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 common, the common thought in politics in Republican circles is we don't have the most power, so what's the point in fighting? And the thought is, oh, when we get to the, when I get to the majority caucus, then I can fight because then we'll have the power. When I get to the, um, when I get to the leadership position, then I can, then I can do what needs to happen because then I'll have the power. Oh, when I become governor, then I can fight because then I, then I, uh, then I'll have the power. When I, you know, when I get elected to uh, whatever Congress, whatever it is, there's always, it's always staging for the next big thing. They're never willing to be faithful now to fight now. And one of the things different about me is, look. I was born for the fight. I'm here to fight for liberty. And I will do so in whatever whatever position I've been given. You know, what I've found is, is really interesting is that um, probably the closest candidate to, I guess, the, the messaging, at least, uh, in your field of competitors that, that I can see right now is Charlie Pierce. Um, and it's interesting to me that <laughs> everywhere I see Charlie and everybody I talk to, it's basically a unanimous uh, report back that Charlie says, well, I'm just like Chris Kirka. <laughs> I heard that yesterday. I'm just like Chris Kirka. I'm glad not, I'm the not, paragon. Not, of- not, 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 I'm Charlie Pierce. I, I love how I'm the par- paragon of, uh, of conservatism I, I'm of virtue. I'm just like Chris Kirka, except I'm so reasonable. Flattering. Actually, that's something I heard. Uh, uh, I'm not dogmatic is another thing I heard. Uh, uh, our friend Greg Madden, who has said that he is, he is endorsing you, uh, he ran against Gary Stevens uh, uh, in a past election, and uh, he came into the shop the other day. He, he was going to run for uh, office this year, but he got ill, and it did something to his voice box, and so he can't even really talk. He just mm. growls. And uh, he was telling me that uh, that he was going to be endorsing you he, because he had he had approached Charlie and said, "So Charlie, tell me tell me what's what's different about you and uh, and what differentiates you from Chris Kirka in this this competition for the most conservative candidate?" And and he said, "Well, I'm not I'm not dogmatic like Chris, but we basically believe all the same things." Well, if you're not dogmatic like Chris, then you don't believe the same things because when you have principles, you don't waver on them. You, you hold the ground, you don't compromise, you're willing to go to the grave for him, and that's the difference between someone who's like uh, Chris Kirka and who is Chris Kirka. Right, right, and who is Chris Kirka? So I want to talk about who is Chris Kirka because that's a great segue, by the way. Um, uh, day one, day one agenda. Chris Kirka uh, is announced as the uh, new governor for the state of Alaska. There's, there's a great uh, brochure down here at the, uh, the, the sports show, and we'll have some of these at the coffee shop for you to take a look at as well. But, but uh, day one, what... what before we get to day one, we must get to the door prizes. <laughs> this has been a great event, by the way. There's been a lot of people. Today's a little bit slower, being Mother's Day and everything. But uh, a ton of people out here in Soldat and a beautiful nether bluebird day. I don't know why I'm stuck inside an ice rink. But, uh, you know. Um, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers yeah, out there, yeah, by the happy way. Happy Mother's Day. And whoever just got that door prize, congratulations. So day one. Day one agenda. Uh, Chris Kirka is an, uh, announced as the governor of the great state of Alaska. You, you get the keys to the door. You walk in. What are you doing? You know, I haven't talked about this, Jason, but I'm going to add something to this list here. Okay. Um, something that uh, many of our presidents have done for many years. Um, they do this at the beginning of the year, uh, the beginning of the term. 
and they put a proclamation out for uh, prayer and repentance. You know, I've been thinking about a lot of the problems we have as a state, how we're worst in so many metrics, and um, we have a lot of problems, Jason. And, it, and fixing them starts with prayer and repentance and going to God for the solution, because the state is not the solution. You mean you're not God? Correct. Uh, how about Ann Zink? Is she God? No. No, and that leads me into uh, the rest of our day one agenda. So obviously the first, the, one of the first things on the list is to fire uh, Dr. Ann Zink, our state medical director. The amount of carnage and damage she's done to our state. Um, people are dying. People have died. People are dying every day because of her leadership. I know that sounds like overcharged, uh, overstated um, uh, rhetoric, but the, tell that to my cousin and his family, who's dead, who didn't get early treatment. How old was your cousin? 39. 39. 39 years old. Tell that to the, the hundreds of Alaskans who weren't able to go into the hospital <coughs> and be with their family. I talked to a, uh, a gentleman, and he sat with his father while he died because he wouldn't go to the hospital to get the, the necessary medical treatment he needed to save his life. There was a customary surgery he could have had to preserve his life. And he died because he begged his son, please don't take me back to that hospital to be left alone and isolated. That's, uh, that's not a unique story. It's actually a pretty prevalent story. Um, we had a gentleman from Homer who uh, got to do that with his wife. Uh, she, was, she was taken to Providence Hospital after they botched. So, so she went into the, the uh, Homer Hospital where they collapsed one of her lungs. And uh, she was dying, and it was only after he made an observation, not being a medical person, that they went, oh, well, uh, there's something wrong here. Oh, well, she's got a collapsed lung. Oh, well, we can't do anything about it. We're going to send her to Providence. So they sent this lady to Providence where uh, she was put into a room and isolated, and he wasn't allowed to see her. And uh, her daughter uh, kept calling. She was a, a nurse from outside, uh, kept calling this gentleman saying, you should be able to go see mom. And he's like, they won't let me in, they won't let me in. Well, she was in, I believe, the ICU on a, on a uh, uh, ventilator for 17 days. She had already been in the hospital down in Homer for over a week. And so their whole reasoning for denying him access to his wife was because she had COVID. But she had already gone beyond the isolation period that when you get mm -hmm. COVID, right. they say you're supposed to stay away from people. And, uh, and when he finally did gain access because they found, they found a, uh, a compassionate nurse who broke the rules to basically sneak him in, mm -hmm. he found her isolated in her room with all the machines outside of the room with long cords going into the room and nobody paying attention to her. We have another uh, uh, lady who comes to our Liberty Action meetings uh, at the coffee shop who uh, used to take care of one of uh, the local pioneers here. He was in his late 90s and uh, he went into the hospital and was sick. She was outside and got a call. She was outside the state and got a call and said, you need to come back quick because Joe's not gonna last long. And so she showed up same thing they would not let her into uh the building to see him and
until she found a compassionate nurse who actually helped her sneak into the hospital. She got all garbed up, you know, mask and hat and goggles and everything, and they got her into the room where she found him aspirating on his own vomit. And it looked like that had been going on for a while. And he ultimately died because of a lack of care. So, so you know, these... The statement about Ann Zink, we just had a woman come by here and, and disagree that she should not be fired, and she was very militant about it. She wasn't just matter of fact, like, no, I think Zink's a nice lady. She, she, she was almost threatening in her, in her demeanor when, uh, when she saw that on this sheet. So, so I, I, for one, am going to support uh, your decision to fire Ann Zink. I've actually filled out a uh, petition to, to fire Ann Zink. That's right, Jason. And folks can go to ChristopherKirka.com and they can sign the petition to fire Ann Zink. And the reason we're doing it, look, we're going to fire her day one, but the, the deal is we can't wait, Jason. We have to have a doctor that's going to lead this state's uh, health department who actually looks at the science, who isn't pushing a global population agenda, like Dr. Zink, or excuse me, depopulation agenda. Um, the stuff that the stuff that Zink advocates for, the vaccine passports, the jab. Now, even if you've already had COVID, she's pushing the jab on you. It's sick. And, it's and the jab for our children. And the yeah. jab and for the jab for the, the unborn. Jab, the jab for kids. And the pregnant women. Right. You know, uh, it, and we already know what how that ha how that fared in Israel when they looked at all the pregnant women that took the jab, and what happened with their children, their their unborn children. So, um, well, my hats off to you on on that issue. So, what else are we doing first first day? And Jason, so, can I make this comment real quick? Just yes, sir. Look, you know, for those that may be listening, may not know who I am. I'm actually a pastor out of Oklahoma, so I just want people to know the language that I use and the things that I talk about. Uh, is coming from a pastor's position. Um, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I, I tweeted out that we were in a dress rehearsal for a communist takeover, and the reality is now we're in Act One, Play One. We are seeing what happens whenever we do nothing, when we're apathetic, we're unwilling to get involved, unwilling to get engaged, and we have people dying. And I just want to make this comment because people need to know this, and pastors need to be saying this, uh, leaders need to be saying this from the pulpit. Fauci is a mass murderer, and these doctors, like Dr. Zink, are complicit. They are. And, and so this is why it's so vitally important. So if you're watching today and you know someone or you've been affected by this issue, I want to encourage you to go to Chris Kirka's website. Uh, what is that? Kirka.com? ChristopherKirka.com. ChristopherKirka.com. Fill out that, uh, that petition. It's so vitally important because, again, it's not enough just to complain about it. You will change nothing in Alaska by complaining about it. You'll change nothing by posting about it. You will change something by getting involved with a governor who will actually represents you and be a a a wall between the federal government and government as a whole to say no this is not constitutional we're going to allow people to have their freedoms and more than anybody else on the planet we as Christians should understand what freedom is all about we've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ we're supposed to be carriers of freedom so we should be saying this loud and clear we should be demanding justice and so I'm just excited that uh, you have the potential of having a governor 
in Alaska through Christopher Kirka, who's going to fire and sink. But I also believe that you're going to be calling for an investigation and criminal charges to go forward. That's right. Because this is what we call, this is like murder for hire. When the CDC says, if you use our protocol, we'll give you this amount of money. And if, I mean, if you follow the Fauci protocol from top to bottom, it's a $200,000 payout. And now what people don't realize is they're getting paid nine to $10,000 to pay for your funeral from FEMA. At the bottom of the page, it says you're waiving your right for a toxicology report in a in a um, autopsy. Autopsy. That's right. So it, most of these people, they didn't die from COVID. They died because they took remdesivir, which is a killer. It's destroyed their liver, their ability to to live. And now they're writing you, giving you gag money, writing a waiver, giving up toxicology reports, autopsies. Guys, this is a payoff. This is a communist takeover. And right now, more than ever, you have to have a leader like Christopher Kirk who is willing to fight on your behalf. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Daniel. So, um, there really, we could spend we could spend days on that topic. Um, but let's not forget our elections. Um, two things we're doing on day one for our elections. As we are um, we're firing Gail Fanumiai, who is the same head of the Division of Elections now that was in place back when uh, the Division of Elections cheated for Lisa Murkowski. She was in office then. She was uh, removed by the Walker administration. She was bought, uh, brought back by the Dunleavy administration. And she is the one behind this insane mail, uh, uh, vote by mail for the congressional election. <laughs> which, okay. is an, which is an outright invitation for fraud. It's an invitation for fraud. And I cannot, under, I cannot fathom how somebody can't understand that. So uh, the number I saw was something like 555,000 Alaskans received mail-in ballots. There's only like what 700 and what 720 or 730,000 730,000 Alaskans. So so there's a lot of uh, minors and felons and non-citizens non-citizens and uh, other folks people who right. have, who have left the state who these ballots are presumably being sent to and who's receiving them. Yeah. Jason, we have tens of thousands of people leaving Alaska every year who are on the voter rolls. And then new people come in and register to vote, and it's just a cycle, a very transient state. And so we probably have close to 140, maybe 100 uh, more, at least 140,000 uh, phantom voter registrants on the on the rolls. So a that new, we've just mailed ballots to. A new dynamic this year in the election is uh, this uh, this ranked choice voting, um, which very few other jurisdictions are using. And uh, we've already talked to some folks today about how how the game theory is being applied to gamify the uh, the election to arrive at a predetermined outcome, and uh, all under the uh, the cloak of uh, uh, computerized algorithms and uh, and corruption, basically. Um, but one of the sort of the interesting dynamics of this new system that we have is that you get to choose your running mate. Uh, it used to be that people would just throw their hat in the ring for governor and they'd sort out after the uh, primaries and kind of team up and you'd, you wouldn't know who your lieutenant governor candidate was till after the primaries were done. But this year, you got to pick your, candidate, your, your mm -hmm. running mate and you picked Paul Huper. Tell us a little bit about that decision. Right, so actually um, the, the old system, there was a separate election for lieutenant governor. Um, it wasn't really a pick. 
um, the uh, the Walker campaign that was an anomaly. They kind of went around the law. But uh, <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> yeah, politicians and being lawless is kind of a sad thing that's become ubiquitous in Alaska. Um, so we met Paul on the campaign trail, and um, the more we got to know him, uh, the more we were excited about him and his story and his passion for election integrity. And look, there was two, was two significant considerations when looking for lieutenant governor. Most people are going to ask a political are going to ask a political um, consideration of all oh, who. How do they bring votes to the ticket? Are they, you know, are they pretty? Do they look nice? Do they, are they a woman? Are they, you know, are they from some regional state? Do they have a good resume? All that kind of stuff, uh, which is, you know, sometimes a good thing to consider. But the two things that we're looking for is number one: are they as solid on the issues as I am, so that I can be comfortable passing away or whatever it is, being come in, in, you know, incapacitated, whatever it is that uh, they could take over the helm and represent the values that I ran on, the promise that I made to, to, the, to Alaskans. Well, let's, let's hope you're not planning on passing away. Or well, I know, no, but look, I'm the kind of governor that's going to get death threats, okay? This is, this is serious. Um, number, number two, I mean, look, you can't, this is, again, this is war. And if I'm going to go out there and take and challenge and take the cookie jar away from, away from the special interests, they're not going to take it laying down. When you, when you threaten the, uh, the moneyed interest, when you threaten the power structure that's out there, and you say, hey, we're, we're actually going to go represent Alaskans, and we're going to turn things on their head, people are going to be pissed off. And they're not just going to say, okay, you can, you can have power now. No, that's not how it works. They're going to, they're going to come after us. So um, we needed somebody uh, who was in place who, who's not just a pretty face, not just you know a great resume, um, not just somebody who people want to vote for because they're attractive, um, or they sound nice, or they're a charismatic you know voice, um, but somebody who is solid, somebody who is as uh, has, has a who has a courage of steel, you know. Yeah. His bones are made of steel, um, backbone of steel. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. But also, and this is the point I think we're getting to here, is the lieutenant governor is the one that oversees the division of elections, not the governor. The governor oversees the budget. I mean, he can submit the budget for the, for the division of elections, but when it comes down to it, the director of the division of elections is hired and fired by the lieutenant governor. And we had to have somebody who was absolutely solid on cleaning up our election system and our voter rolls. And that's Paul Huber. It's a, it's a passion of Paul's when I started describing the position to him and what it entailed. He was super excited about the division of elections and cleaning that mess up. Paul, as you know, Jason, Paul traveled. Very few Americans did this, but Paul traveled and was one of hundreds of thousands of Americans that went to Washington, D.C. on January 6th of 20, um, 2021 to protest the fraudulent election. And... Um, in payment for that, even though he went peacefully and protested peacefully, you know, exercising his First Amendment rights, came back home to Homer, Alaska, and the FBI and the Capital City Police came in and busted down his door demanding Nancy Pelosi's laptop um, because they'd misidentified his wife with, when comparing and thinking she was a different woman. And by the time they got done with the interview, 
where they had them in, you know, at gunpoint and handcuffs. By the time they got done, they realized they were the wrong people. They had, they, they had to miss the wrong identity. But they still took their phones. They still, still took their computers. And they took their pocket constitution, Jason. Because somehow, having a constitution, having a business, wow. is a crime. You gotta be some kind of radical to read the constitution. And Jason, I, I mean, that's, the, the, message, sounds, the message... That's what it sounds like. I mean, if yeah. you read the Constitution, you're now on a watch list. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, what does the Capitol Police... What jurisdiction does the Capitol Police have in Alaska? Like, what's up with that? I, I, I'm pretty sure they came here to oversee the, uh, the ethical harvest of salmon while they were waiting for the warrant to clear. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a prime, prime example of federal overreach. We have we have to put a stop to because they're not. This is a, this is a long train of abuses, Jason. This is not new. The COVID so, the COVID jab mandate. So before is not you new. before you talk to Paul, he he, if I understand correctly, was not actually actively looking to get involved in not politics. No, he he did it out of he went to protest out of necessity. Um, he did things out of necessity. He had no desire or interest or plan to run for public office. You know, that's that's kind of a Jeffersonian concept. I, I studied politics when I was in college, and, and there was this idea that uh, this sort of Jefferson, Jeffersonian sort of frame of mind, uh, one would never, one was never to seek the uh, position of political office, but only to take that political office if it was thrust upon them by their friends and neighbors, and only through their civic duty uh, would they be compelled to service, and that once they had accomplished the task they were sent to complete, that they would return home to their own industry and, uh, and retire, essentially. I can't name one politician who's actually gone into political office and not continued to seek to remain in that office or seek another office who has just gone there to serve until the need has passed and then return home to their own industry. Any names come to your mind of anybody who's done that? There's a few, but it's not, it's not particularly Not common. noteworthy, yeah. <laughs> so so it, it, we're going on down the list. So we've got fire and zinc. We've got- uh, we've Band, got a, band a, Dominion, a, Dominion Voting Machines. Band, Dominion Voting Machines. Uh, bring uh, integrity back to the elections. Entering so, choice voting. Okay, end rank choice voting. So, do do you have do you have any any strategy or game plan that you're you're ready to share, or is that something that's being closely held till later? In terms of the end uh, rank choice voting, yeah, yeah, no, um, we're gonna repeal. We're gonna work, fight hard to repeal the law. Um, we almost had a bill this year to do it, but the legislature can't. Um, and we could have passed a bill and had it dated to uh, take effect. In 2024, but the legislature is prohibited from uh, addressing any initiative petitions that have been passed by the people um, for two years after they pass. And so, even if we pass the law, it would not be allowed to take effect until 2024, anyways. Um, so that that's going to be one of our top agenda items. Um, we'll we'll be filing a bill right away to end that. Um, but Jason, there's, there's a really critical issue we haven't talked about yet. As part of our day one agenda. And that stems out of being a constitutional candidate, okay? So what that means is I have an oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and the state of Alaska. 
My oath of office is not to protect and defend court opinions. And so it doesn't matter that the, the, the courts in Alaska say they want, to, you want, they want us to pay for abortion, they want us to pay to kill kids. On day one, we're going to follow the law. On day one, we're going to follow the will of the legislature. It's been the will of the legislature for decades that we stop paying for abortions. And right now, our governor, uh, along with the governors before him, have continued to pay Planned Parenthood to kill kids. Jason, that's unacceptable. So that will be ending day one. Day one of the Kirk administration. We'll be ending the payments for Planned Parenthood. Now, this brings me to another question that's uh, kind of related, I guess. Uh, down here on the peninsula, the last six weeks or so, we've seen a, a groundswell of activity and a grassroots movement to protest the Alaska court system. Uh, we've had anywhere from 30 to 70 people, and I think they're hovering right around 60 to 70 people. Every Wednesday, when the grand jury convenes here in, in uh, Kenai, uh, protesting in front of the courts because of uh, what people have said is a, a degradation of, of the way in which Alaska's grand jury should be operating, and specifically in regards to how it addresses allegations of official misconduct, corruption, and uh, uh, illegal behavior. So mm -hmm. when we say official misconduct, that means misconduct by the court itself, by the judges, by the prosecutors, by the administration, um, and by the deep state, essentially, by, by the bureaucrats, that they, that they have, over the years, degraded uh, the juror's handbook, removing information that tells Alaska's jurors how to conduct a grand jury investigation, uh, how to look into these allegations. Uh, has, your, has your campaign uh, looked at how it's going to address this concern because it's not just in Kenai anymore. They're starting to protest in the Matsu. Right. Uh, they're starting to protest in Anchorage and more and more people are coming forward with their own personal stories of how they've been yes. negatively affected. Yes, and Jason, as I've, we've already come out pretty early on with a statement in support of the effort to have um, independent grand juries and we'll be, we will be cleaning out the Department of Law as necessary to get um, the bureaucrats out of the way. Um, and to prosecute things aggressively like sex crimes and trafficking. Uh, my campaign manager, Daniel, I've been, you know, we've been talking about um, how pervasive the problem is. It's extraordinary. But, Jason, as, I, as I've traveled around the state, I keep hearing from more Alaskans every day. I'm hearing from Alaskans all over the state who are bringing me stories of corruption in state government or local, local government. And um, the, the, the tendency is to, to disengage and to be demoralized and go away. And if we, don't, if we don't fix this, Jason, if we don't bring justice to Alaskans, if we don't grant them justice, then at some point, Alaskans are not going to tolerate it and they're just going to overthrow the government violently. Same issue with election integrity. Alaskans have to have faith in their election system. Even, Jason, even if there wasn't a problem with our elections, with anybody who has two brain cells to rub together and looks at the 2020 election realizes there was fraud. But even if you don't believe there was fraud, when you recognize that the majority of Republicans believe there was fraud and a massive plurality of Democrats, I think 40-something percent of Democrats believe there was fraud in the 2020 election, 
Then why not have an why not have a forensic audit? Okay, another door prize. And put the issue at rest. What what are we trying to hide? What are we trying to cover for? You have Alaskans have to Americans have to have confidence in our elections. It is the cornerstone, the bedrock of our constitutional republic. And we have to have faith in a justice system that actually is giving is giving is giving granting us justice, and we do not have that. So I know that uh, when I was in Juneau, the Capitol was locked down, tighter than a drum. And you had to go in, uh, well, for some. For some, it was locked down, unless you were having beer pong parties and uh, <laughs> hanging out with lobbyists and giving them keys to the building. <coughs> Sarah Rasmussen, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I had a tickle in my throat. Um, you know, uh, but it was locked down, and, and there were some, some senators and special people whose families were able to wander the halls and then there were others who had to like sneak their families in and there were people like me who were staffers who were not allowed to have our families in and this was a this was a public facility this is a, the people's house yes and the people's and, house and uh, they the required yes. masking and all kinds of craziness um, as governor what's your position going to be on the next pandemic because we're told there is a next pandemic to pandemic we need to be afraid dr fauci is warning us right now and yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if the next pandemic comes into full force right around the time that it's time to elect our new leaders mm -hmm. you know uh, jason i'm i've been on record for a very long time on this i think it was march of 2020 while i was campaigning for state house and we didn't know what COVID was going to be we didn't know how deadly it was going to be. We didn't know the stats yet. We only knew just a little bit of peripheral stuff. Stuff, And I came out with a video early on, and I said very clearly, clearly that, you know, the government can look at the data, they can tell us, they can give us advice. But we don't need them telling us how to wash our hands, teaching our kids, you know, basic hygiene. That is not the role for the government to mandate who is essential? Who's not essential? Who can be open? Who can be closed? Where you can drive, where you can't drive. Who you can visit with, who you can congregate with, whether or not you can go to church or not. Mm -hmm. We have a constitution, Jason, and I don't care if you had, however bad the pandemic's gonna be, the constitution does not allow you to just throw it in the trash because somebody got sick and somebody died. So, you know, so the, what the, the solution is, if we have another pandemic, we will be giving Alaskans the best information possible on the pandemic so they can make an informed choice, but it's going to be their choice. You know, I was hoping that our governor, done nothing, would have uh, uh, done something about uh, the therapeutic situation, but That's he right. didn't do that. We're back to the discussion about how he just basically handed the keys to the kingdom to this unelected bureaucrat, uh, Ann Zink. Health star, and, yeah. And, and, and David Crum, who, who runs the uh, Adam. department, or I'm sorry, Adam, yeah, Crum. Adam Crum, who runs the Department of Health and Social Services, and, and basically just kind of walked away from the, the, the lectern, except for when he would come out with these new health mandates, and I remember, it was Health Mandate 16, which, by the way, uh, it would be nice. I'll, I'll try and look this up in a minute. But every time I've tried to look up Health Mandate 16 on the state webpage, the link is broken. 
and I've, I've said this before, I think I even said it before that in, in this weekend in a previous episode, that uh, that was the mandate where they said that they could imprison you and fine you mm. if you were in violation of their 33 pages of addendum uh, OSHA uh, regulations and somebody got sick or died and they somehow contact traced that back to your facility. Um, and, and that was that was done nothing that uh, that wrote his his name on the bottom of that health mandate. Now the state seems to have misplaced it. So is there? I mean, even now, I would think as a candidate, but also a seated House representative, is there any way that you could get your office to ask the governor to restore that link so that people can go back and you know read the read the language that uh, he passed through his office that basically shredded the Constitution? You know, Jason, that's a good point. I'll have my staff look into that. I know that uh, some of those things we we screen captured and we uh, saved because we saw what they were doing and they were uh, hiding information that was public information. What, what did, Here's what an did, example. What did Al Gore call that? Inconvenient truths? <laughs> right, right. Right, right. And, uh, oh, let, uh, don't look here. We didn't do this. We didn't shut churches down. We didn't shut businesses down. We didn't destroy the economy. We didn't destroy Alaskans' lives and right. their livelihoods because somehow... Just because somebody has a job that's in the wrong business. Well, if you were a tavern, a stripper, or a pot dealer, business was booming. Yes, because that was you were essential. legally allowed to be open. That was but essential. God Those forbid were you open your church up. Yeah, that was essential services. Yeah, but the actual services, like church services, weren't allowed. That's right. So, so, so we—it's safe to assume that's not going to happen under your watch. Yep. So Dunleavy's the pot over prayer uh, governor. Now, to be fair, because, uh, you know, everybody already knows this, but I'll say it again, uh, I do work for the campaign. So uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is a friendly interview. I help with communications, and uh, I'm even sort of an outlaw now. Uh, my, my daughter married Christopher's younger brother, and, uh, and, I, and, and his, uh, you, look at this, David. You see this wonderful coffee command center right here, this, this nice, uh, shiny uh, aluminum structure? That was actually, the entire thing was welded by Christopher's oldest brother, Jonathan. Oh wow! So, so we we are connected here. So I'm 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 not completely an uh, uh, independent, objective uh, witness, but I will tell you that I've judged the character of the man by uh, the many observational opportunities I've had, and I'm supporting Christopher Kirka, uh, not just because I'm on the payroll, but because I've known him far longer than uh, you know. I knew him before he could pay anybody. And as a small business owner, I know he's had to struggle and climb his way up like I have. And uh, that's, that's why I'm voting for Christopher, because unlike other candidates, he's not a lawyer. He's not a, uh, a career bureaucrat, superintendent of a school district, teachers, union, you know, um, uh, sort of guy. He's not, uh, he's not a, a, a crony politician who's, who's been in, in charge of uh, a, a local energy company that operates in a heavily regulated space where there's no competition and you can just stick it to the consumer when you run out of money um, or you do something wrong. Um, he's a small business owner. Now, now you fished, correct? You, you, let's talk about fisheries. Mm -hmm. Fisheries. What's your background in fisheries? I know a little bit about this, but this is, I'm sort of leading your questions right now because you and I, we, we don't have enough time here to cover all the things we've already covered, but 
But mm -hmm. tell us about commercial fishing or, or, or just fish in general, because that's a big deal in Alaska. Well, especially here on the peninsula, Jason. Um, so, uh, I feel strongly about that. Um, my, uh, my grandfather, my, both my little brothers, brothers and myself, and my, my dad have all uh, commercial fished, um, either Prince William Sound, Bristol Bay, or here on the peninsula. I fished two seasons here on the peninsula as well, um, commercially. And um, so was that was that drift netting, set netting, set netting, both all of the above. I mean, I did set netting, but all of the above. Did you get to sane? No, man. I wanted to sane. I did drifting. I did set netting, and then I was told by a guy in Valdez is like, oh, that's that's the lower class working, you know, slaves. That the, the, the gentleman's fishery is saning because you don't ever touch the fish. <laughs> yeah, so I was about to ask, what you, is this? I'm from Oklahoma. You, you just scoop them up in a, in basically a big purse, and you just deposit them on deck and sort of kick them into the hole. <laughs> I, it's a little more complicated than that, but yeah, no, I've never no, never done anything that that's fancy. The, that's the big. No, money I worked fishery. on it. I worked on a set net site here in Cran Gulch and Nailchick. Okay. Uh, area, and um, between Cran Gulch and Nailchick, excuse me. And, um, you know, we have so many special interests involved in, in Alaska. Well, well, before you go there, let's, let's do some more questioning. Do you own a fly rod or a spinning reel? I probably do somewhere. Okay. All right. Uh, the next question, uh, have, you, have you ever been guilty of holding a dip net? Well, Absolutely. Uh, have you ever been guilty of uh, of uh, operating a subsistence set site? Uh, my father. I've done it, yes with my father. Yes. Okay. All right. So, folks. Well, this is the most important question. Have you ever eaten a salmon you caught with your own hands? Oh yes. Okay. So we've covered all the bases, everybody. Christopher has been a commercial fisherman. He has been a sports fisherman. He has been a, uh, a subsistence fisherman. Um, now let me ask you this one. This one, not everybody can check this box. Have you worked for a fish processing plant? No. Other Shame than on you. <laughs> every, every young man and woman in Alaska should have to suffer through at least one season working in the process. Well, I'll tell you what, when you have a family as big as mine, when we come fishing, it's like a fish processing plant. <laughs> okay. All right. yeah, so, how many how many people in your immediate family growing up? Well, so I'm one of nine kids. One of nine kids. So, well, and my wife plus and mom I and dad, 10, yeah. 11. So you're hitting the set. You're hitting the subsistence season with 11 people. Quota per household would be how many fish? Well, yeah, we had still 11. Um, they were not, you know, not have their own households and stuff. Um, that's uh, 125, I think. 125 fish. So yeah, yeah. it's a little uh, a micro processing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so we. Um, so you understand the industry from multiple points of view. You might say that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Qualified to talk on the issues. Yes, and um, look, we need we need to, we need the fishery to be for the maximum benefit of all Alaskans, not cutting the throat of one industry to support another special interest. And one of the things I think we've seen in Alaska for the last several years is a lot of fishermen are hurting. The throat's been cut. And we keep going this pendulum swing back and forth of, of uh, picking winners and losers, Jason. Not having an even playing field, not having a free market. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever accepted any money from a gentleman by the name of Bob Penny? No. 
Will you ever accept any money from a gentleman by the name of Bob Penny? No, and here's why. Because that money comes with strings. So people, the people that donate to my campaign, Jason, donate to my campaign because they believe in our message, they believe in our platform. That's a great question. They're not buying something. And if they're, dry, if they're buying something, they're trying to buy freedom for Alaskans. Now, now, Daniel, what you don't understand is Bob Penny is, is, a, is a heavy hitter. He, he represents uh, sports fishermen, and, uh, and he, if he had his way, if his organization had their, his way, only the sports fishermen would have access to the resource. And uh, the folks over here, the gold prospectors that you see over there, uh -huh. they wouldn't be able to do any kind of recreational mining. They wouldn't be able to have any kind of discharge of, of water uh, back into the river, regardless of the science behind uh, that, which we, we, I talked to those guys earlier today, and we're going to have them back on the show and do a special segment just on recreational mining. Um, but uh, you wouldn't have these generational uh, family, families, they're much like farmers who have generationally derived in their income and provided money back into the economy by living here locally and commercially fishing those salmon. Now there are some outsiders that, uh, that come and commercially fish that don't live here and don't contribute year-round to the economy and you know I mean now that maybe there's some conversations to be had about how we can encourage people to live in Alaska you know who are gonna who are gonna take that resource but but uh, the idea of pitting one against the other is not something that's good and, and Mr. Penny is very good at doing that at dividing people and he was a major donor for the Dunleavy uh, camp so uh, just saying I've heard, the reason I asked that question is because I've heard it asked here on the peninsula. Is like, well, does Christopher, uh, he's coming from the valley, and that's sort of Penny's stomping grounds. Is he, is he a bought and paid for uh, a Penny Menion? And, uh, and it's good to hear that, uh, that you are not going to be one of those folks who takes that check. Because it's a significant check when it's written. No. Hey, listen, if you're giving to our campaign... You're giving to our campaign because you believe in our message of freedom. You believe in our, what we're going to fight for. We're not, we're not here to do special favors for special interests. That's the, that is the um, anathema to what we stand for. Well, I think that's the thing is whenever you fight for freedom, you're doing the biggest favor for everybody because you're giving everyone an equal field to, to run after their dreams. And if they do the hard work and they put the time in, they have the ability to prosper like none other, but you've got to get big government out of the way. You know, one of the things that that uh, that I'm, I'm, I think, I, I don't know, I don't know if I'm becoming a a closet libertarian. Uh oh. Um. I I don't believe in giving heroin to people, which I I talked to a libertarian friend of mine the other day, and he was saying, you know, maybe we should just uh, legalize everything. <laughs> right, right. And I was right. like, ah, I still got some hang-ups about that. Right. But, you know, um, I really think that it, for me, it's it's boiling down to I'm like a single, single issue uh, voter when it comes to the right to life. But I guess if I had to have a second issue, it would be this idea of liberty. And uh, any time that uh, you decide that you want to reduce my liberty or do something that infringes upon my liberty or that of my family, I'm not for that. And uh, this is a segue because I want to talk now about party. I want to talk about the party politics. 
because uh, the Republican Party did something that was uh, kind of disgusting last week. We've talked about it with other <laughs> candidates, and that was their, uh, basically, they didn't call it a censure, but their censuring of uh, people who oh, receive yeah. training from or support an organization called the Foundation for Applied Conservative Leadership, which in a nutshell is an organization that provides educational training to the grassroots on how to activate and mobilize around conservative candidates and how to hold candidates accountable to the promises they make as well as uh, equip people who are interested in running for office and uh, kind of doing what Daniel's doing, you know, help those campaigns run smoothly and efficiently and spend their money in the wisest ways for the maximum impact. And uh, there were some politicians, some of your colleagues got a little bit upset recently, and this is kind of the minutia we talked about around the whole David Eastman thing, but, but essentially, Mr. Kevin McCabe, the representative from Big Lake, as I understand it, proposed this, uh, put this resolution forward that essentially said that if you've been involved in FACL, you're screwed. Um, as far as the party's concerned, now I know you have been involved with FACL. So tell me, what did was that an accurate representation that I just gave of what FACL is? Yeah, that's basically, well, and I would, I would sum it up to say this, Jason. At the core of what FACL is, is the problem. At the core of what FACL is, the Foundation for Applied Conservative Leadership, is training on how to hold your bad politicians accountable for when they tell you one thing and they do another. Right? So when your politicians run as a conservative and say they're pro-life and say they're pro-gun and then and say they're for you know, smaller budgets and they get into office and they, and they vote against pro-life bills where they don't let them come to the floor and they vote against constitutional carry in the states that don't have it yet and they vote, they vote, um, they vote to increase taxes and increase the budget well there needs to be consequences and so the training is all about bringing the legislative season and the legislative record before the voters during election season and to bring accountability and God forbid we make Republicans accountable. Hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just cancel all those voices in one fell swoop? We could just we could just go find those grassroots and just pour some, I don't know, Lillian Miller moss killer on them. And it would just be like dead. Dead roots. You can't do anything. And, uh, oh wait, that's what they did. That's what they well, did. Well, that's what they tried to do. I don't, uh, it, it's very unclear what the effects of that are. It's uh, very poorly worded. It was thrown together at the last minute. Um, it was put before the delegates, and um, they didn't even vote. There was a vote for the resolution, and they never took the vote from those opposed to it. So we don't even, I mean, whether it passed, I guess they say it passed, but here's the deal. That sounds like Randy Rederick was in the house. Yeah. That sounds like something Randy would do. <laughs> he was do. in the house, Did you actually. use Dominion machines? Was, was Randy there? He was there, actually. Oh, surprise, surprise. But um, he wasn't necessarily directly running the show. But here's the deal. <laughs> right, so you, you've been involved in the party as long as I have, Jason. And um, when you take a vote, people have the opportunity to vote yes and the opportunity to vote no. How can you say the yes is won on a voice vote of all things if you've never taken the no vote? 
<laughs> Not to mention, there was forty percent. I shut down a state convention once because uh, that happened. We actually impeached the, uh, the the credentials of the parliamentarian. Randy Redrick had to hand the gavel over to uh, Lauren Lehman. Do you remember that? And then Lauren Lehman stopped, called a recess, and then came and shouted at me. That was awesome. So anyway, yeah, yeah. When when you do a voice vote and half the room's filled with uh, folks who are not seated delegates and they all scream yes, that's not a vote. Right. Right. And there was a bunch of new people at the convention, and most people had no idea what they were voting on. It wasn't very clear. They had no idea what was going on. This was this is a personal vendetta of an individual legislator who is upset because guess what? He represents the most conservative district in the state. And he is not voting in line with the constituents. He's being held accountable, and he's pretty ticked about it. Well, I want to take this opportunity because we have uh, we have been pushing out this um, we've been pushing out this podcast now to about six or eight different um, six or eight different uh, 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 conservative Facebook groups. And it's getting traction. It's getting a lot of traction. Actually, when we did the uh, the episode with David Eastman, uh, in like 24 hours, we had over a thousand people who listened to it. So that's pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. So um, I want to take this opportunity to say, for all of those of you out there in conservative podcast land, who went to that uh, state convention just a couple weeks ago. It would be awesome to get a straw poll sort of feeling vote uh, uh, on on did you really understand what went down in that last vote of the day? Because I understand it was rammed through very quickly. Uh, a bunch of uh, upset legislators who didn't want to be held accountable stood up and spoke in support of this resolution, which was given in the 11th hour, which was outside of what the executive committee had said was allowable. They weren't allowing new resolutions except for, I guess, this one. And uh, which Mr. McCabe somehow was able to sneak under the wire. And uh, it, it just seems like uh, the Republican Party has decided that it's going to embrace the cancel culture and full out, you know, just silence the grassroots. You know, it used to be the grassroots could silence those folks by censuring them and not voting for them. But now it's, I think they've forgotten that all political power and authority is derived of, for, and by the people, and that they really have no inherent power themselves other than that which we give them. Mm-hmm. So, my little soapbox, if you're out there in podcast land, weigh in, in the comments on this podcast. Yeah, and I'd like to weigh in on this this idea or the topic of new people. Uh, many of you that are probably listening to this podcast, uh, how many of you were involved in, in government and politics a year ago, two years ago? We've seen a wave of people, not just in Alaska, Oklahoma, California, some of the most liberal places. You have people coming out of the woodwork because they see what's going on. I just want to give a couple of words out to you um, because you're coming in. The thing I want to remind you right now, the Democrats were not the problem for Donald J. Trump. It was the Republicans. Every time he stepped out, these were the people that were pulling the carpet out from underneath him. And this is what you need to realize. You're coming in and you're saying, I want to get involved. I want to get engaged. And you've gotten involved in the Republican Party because you think that's the best option or the vehicle to carry your ideals through, which is very true. It is a great vehicle to be able to do that at this point. But you have to realize within that vehicle, there are establishment people who are not liberty people, who are not there for your best interest. And so what they're doing is they're going to try to say, 
hey, vote for the support the establishment pick. And what they're going to do is they've learned to speak your language. You have to understand this because if you're listening and you're watching and say, who am I going to vote for for governor? You can take all of the candidates right now. You can ask them all the same softball questions and they're all going to have the same exact answer. So, and you know, you have some people, it's like, well, I'm just like Chris Kirka. You know, the other person, oh, I agree with what he says. I agree uh, with what he, he says. He just walked past us, yeah. actually. Yeah. And so he doesn't look anything like Chris. Well, he's, <laughs> he's sort of short and round, so maybe that's the close. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well so well, here's, it's, here's it's cool the, to be the standard. Here's the thing that people need to know what is the difference? Are, are, if you're not careful, you're going to vote on someone based on charisma, you're going to both vote on someone based on they have a cute looking flyer or they spend a lot of money. Here's the determining factor that you need to know. I'm glad you said flyer. <laughs> you said acute looking, and I was like, ah. <laughs> you know, how do you determine? Because they're all going to have the same talking points. Here's the biggest distinction that you need to recognize right now is Christopher Kirka ran in a race where he didn't have a chance of winning. He won at 70%. So anyone that says that he can't win, that's a lie. He's already done this before. He's won. But now he actually has a voting record to prove that he will do what he said he's going to do. He made promises, he's kept his promises, and he's going to do the same thing whenever he is elected as the next governor of, of Alaska. These, everyone else just has talking points. As a matter of fact, I've talked to a lot of people in the last two days, and they said, I supported the current governor now because I believed what he said. Guys, it's not what they're saying that matters. You have to have someone that, that has a track record, and Christopher Kirker has that track record. That's right. Hey, Daniel, you want to elaborate on that... Um, that story uh, from Oklahoma, your story of your engagement in the party and how you were threatened and told you need to stop and you need to shut up and you need to sit down and stop <laughs> doing what you were doing. Um, this is this is really powerful. I'll go ahead and tell the story. Yeah, yeah. So and and, and I've been in trouble so many because times. This so is, if I start telling the, the wrong one, this is ubiquitous across the country. This happens in Alaska. This happens everywhere. Yeah, and, and like I said, I've been threatened and, and chewed out so many times. If I'm telling the wrong story, just tell me, and I'll I'll switch. Just hit the skip button. I'll go to the next one. <laughs> but literally, so I, I have the opportunity to to serve as the the uh, district three. Uh, Republican chairman, so I oversee 232,000 votes in the 3rd District, and I'm invited into a meeting with our state chairman, David McLean, and I'd meet with him many times before, come into the office, and so I go to the office, says, Daniel, we need to talk privately, I said, that's great, what's going on? He said, um, you're being too, um, too aggressive in what you're talking about, like, you're trying to actually end abortion, and, you know, I just got done speaking with James Langford, I just got speaking with the state pro Tim, I just got speaking with these other people, and they want you to resign. And not only just want the, you to resign your position as third congressional district chair, they want you to resign your ministry, and they want you to delete your Facebook, and they want you to delete, delete your emails and stop talking. And I was like, okay. And if I don't? Well, Daniel, you don't understand. There's this there's this Republican in, in Lawton, Oklahoma, and he owns this publication, and he's very rich, but he's a rhino, and they're going to hire him to write horrible letters about you. And they're going to write, yeah, 14 weeks in a row I was in this publication and lied about all these different things. I, I knew I recognized your last name for a reason. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable of, of what has taken place. And literally they said, I just played the fool, like, well, okay, well, they're going to write mean things about me. I think I'll be okay. But Daniel, they're going to indict you. Now, you have to realize about me, I'm, as far as getting in trouble, I'm a very boring person. So when I left the meeting, I had to pull my phone out and see what it meant to be indicted because I didn't know what it meant to be indicted. Like, I, I don't know what that means. They're going to arrest me for what? You know, well, they're going to make something up. 
they're just going to make something up. And one of these journalists calls me one day and he says, hey, Daniel, has the DHS, which is in our state, the Department of Human Services, called you about the allegations of sexual child abuse yet? <laughs> and then he hangs up the phone. And then he goes to all the little Facebook groups like Guthrie Newspaper, uh, Guthrie uh, Yard Sales, Guthrie Talks. It says, has anybody heard about the cult that lives at 1212 Mockingbird Lane in Guthrie, Oklahoma, and the allegations of sexual abuse? What? This is the kind of craziness that the Republican Party will play. You have to realize these people will rip your throat out. They're climbing a ladder, and they will attack and, and cut the throat of anybody they can to get their say. But they are driven by, in my opinion, again, I'm a pastor, so they are driven by demonic forces of greed and lust of power and fame. And if it, if it means smearing your name or doing something evil to get to the top, they'll do it. They won't think twice about it. Well, you know, one of the things I'd like to weigh in on here is that we're in Alaska, and we're Alaskans, and we don't take threats lightly. And uh, the political elite likes to threaten people. I've been mm -hmm. threatened. I know Chris has been threatened. Mm -hmm. And you know what we do as Alaskans? We double down, we triple down, and we go buy another gun. Well, that's what I did. I, I went know, on. I, I did a live stream that, that night with my new gun, my new I, AR, I, I, I and cleaned it on a live stream. Because <laughs> here's what happened. So Alaska doesn't have sheriffs, but in Oklahoma we have sheriffs. And so I called my sheriff and said, Sheriff, this is what just happened. And he said, Bubba, do you have a gun? I said, yes, I do. He said, use it. If someone comes to your house and tries to take your children, you, you move them off of your property. So I did a live stream that night. I pulled out my new I went shopping. I did some retail therapy. I bought me a new AR. It's always the best excuse to buy a new gun. Yes, it is. Sweetie, I got threatened. I got to buy another yep. gun. Yeah. And she was happy with it. I was happy. So I got a, a 308 short. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful gun. And I just did a live stream. I said, look at this new, wonderful gun. Look at these big bullets that go inside it. Man, it's clean. It's smooth. I'm ready to test it out. It's a tack driver. I don't even have to aim. It hits everything I pull the trigger at. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, and that's the thing, folks, is that we cannot be ruled by a spirit of fear. And that's mm -hmm. what the last couple of years have been, is the Democrats and their demonic influence. And I do believe it's demonic. I mean, the people that, that come in to our shop and attack us for being conservative, they are some of the most vile, vitriolic, hateful people I've ever met. Yep. And, uh, and even the people that have, have uh, come by the political booth here today, a couple of them, you know, you can just, they're just seething with anger, seething with, with something supernaturally evil when, when they interact. There's no collegiality. There's no civility. There's no, hey, we'll be neighbors and just agree to disagree. It is all out, like Chris has said, battle. It is a battle for the hearts and minds and the culture of this great nation, and they want to fundamentally change it. The way that we fight back, though, is if we get active at the local level, we take back our local assemblies, we take back our, our local school district and our, our co-op you know, utility boards, we take it back from the left and we say, you're not stepping one inch further. Then we take it back at the state house and the state senate and the governor's mansion. And then we look down there at Washington, D.C., and we wave that beautiful Gazden flag. Mm -hmm. And we say, mm -hmm. no step on snack. <laughs> Have you guys seen that? That that that. Uh, so there was like a, a kindergartner that drew drew the Gazden flag in color crayon, and uh, and and it's just this simple snake, and it says no step on snack. Yeah. Oh, so, awesome. so you know, <laughs> so a child knows. Yeah, don't step on me. Yeah. You know, uh, because I'll bite you. Mm -hmm. I'll bite you hard. 
And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we do have states' rights. That's not dead. Yeah. And we do have mm -hmm. the ability to nullify That's right. uh, unconstitutional laws and to nullify the government, the federal government's overreach. And we've done that in Alaska. I don't necessarily agree in the ones that we've nullified, but in Alaska, as many other states have, they've legalized uh, right, marijuana. Yep. You yep. know, and, and... And nobody uh, cares. Nobody, nobody cares. cares that we're in violation of federal law. No. Yeah. No. No, so and, and saying, you know, you in Alaska, yeah, go ahead. But in, in Alaska, you know, there's all these people that are always uh, packing, packing guns, and I think it's always hilarious when, when you find somebody who's pro-marijuana and they're packing a gun. Because if they're packing a gun and they're packing weed, that's a federal firearms uh, infraction. And you know what? They don't care. And uh, and if the if the state uh, were to step up and say, "All right, feds, you don't operate in our space without our permission. Mm -hmm. You stay on your postal uh, uh, grounds. You stay on your military bases. You stay on your munitions dumps. But don't go anywhere else. You don't get our support." I mean, now I'm sounding AIP, right? <laughs> Actually, the AIP would be like, oh, and P.S., get the heck out. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it's, you know, we've been on, the, on this uh, segment for an hour and eight minutes. It's been uh, illuminating, and it's always great to have you guys down here. Folks, if you want to get involved with the Kirka Huber campaign, I know that they are looking for volunteers. That's right. They've got uh, signs. They've got uh, all kinds the of coolest swag, swag. Of, any, of any candidate. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, we've got a huge volunteer meeting coming up this Monday, tomorrow, at 6 p.m. and we're still at the headquarters. Okay, and are you going to live stream that? Are you going to do Zoom so that people who can't go to Wasilla can can phone in or, or be part of that? Uh, we will begin doing that. Uh, not this initial meeting. We're going to do this the first initial in-house. And then following that, I believe, like every other Monday, have a volunteer meeting. Try to find a, a platform that's not run by the communist Chinese, though. Zoom is yeah. Zoom is a communist uh, plot. So. Right, right. <laughs> uh, well, it's been a, a pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, any last words, uh, Mr. Kirka, before we sign off? Only that if you, if you want someone who's going to fight for liberty, like there's no tomorrow. You want somebody's going to fight for your right to life, your right to keep and bear arms, your right to have your own private property, the right to keep your business open, then we're your candidate. And if you want us elected, if you want someone's going to fight, we need your vote, we need your dollars. I can't ask for money right now, we're still in session, and we need you as a volunteer. But, you know, with that being said, I believe that Mr. Huper is collecting dollars. That's correct. He's and, allowed, and he's he's allowed, allowed to, to do that because and you he's can, not you in can session. you can go to ChristopherKirka.com, and you can sign up, and you can do all those things. But also, Jason, we are the first campaign in Alaska to unveil our own phone app, our own uh, smartphone app. And we are going to be able to communicate with Alaskans outside of the... Um, stranglehold of, of the big tech. Now, I want to just piggyback off that. I know I said we were done, but we're not done. Uh, <laughs> this morning, I actually was successfully able to to log on to and, and open my Truth Social account, and there are a ton of conservative thinkers, uh, pundits, and, and uh, uh, politicians on the Truth Social. That's uh, Donald Trump's new social uh, networking platform, and it's working flawlessly. So when I tried to get on a couple months ago, it just was like, eh, it wasn't ready. Um, but I, I signed up today. It was uh, pretty painless. And I am going to start working towards weaning my businesses and everything we do off of Facebook and telling Zuckerberg to pound sand. 
So Sounds good. I so. mean, the guy contributes ninety million dollars a year to Planned Parenthood. That's all. We got to get off of that platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's created the the, digi- the digital equivalent of heroin, and uh, we've all become addicted. And, it's, uh, it's good to have alternatives, healthy alternatives to heroin. Every day that you can find an, a healthy alternative to heroin is a good day. Sounds right. So I'm going to sign off. We may yet uh, talk to one or two more people. It looks like people are starting to tear down. You've been listening to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club, Conservative Hour of Power, and Enlightenment Salon Special Edition, third day, Soldatna Sports Rec and Trade Show. We look forward to seeing you in the shop. We look forward to seeing you uh, down here next year. And we look forward to seeing you on the campaign trail. Have a good night, everybody.